Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, you know? The law is the law. Peter, this is in our hands. I mean, it really is. People were there. We will continue to raise our voices. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Monday. Dull, dreary, but the forecast for the middle of the week right towards the weekend looks a bit like real proper spring. You might even get the shorts on. You might even get the barbecue out by the weekend. I'll keep you posted on it as we get closer to it. We had quite a bit of response Friday to our conversation with Dr. John Campbell and the concerns that he raised with regard to how they are injecting AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson. And he found research from 2006 that left him in no doubt as a nurse that we should be injecting it differently, that they should be using a different method to inject it into the muscle. I think that's a serious question that serious uh, senior health analysts need to answer. Now, we did pass it up the line, column Burke TD, who of course is a member of the Oireachtas Health Committee, was on with me briefly on Friday. In response to John, he's passed it up the line. Well, I've written to Paul Rees, the CEO of um, the HSE, um, and I've also written to the Minister, so it's about following it up. More on that a little bit later on as we go through the morning. But first of all, just literally off the air last Friday, when the phones began to ring here at 96FM, and interestingly enough, it was the Taoiseach himself Michal Martin himself calling at 96FM. He called me, actually, and he called the newsroom because he wanted to break some news with regards to special needs education. We've been covering over the last couple of months the case, for example, of Andy Hickey and other young lads, 23 kids, who have nowhere to go in September because their special needs primary school is coming to an end, but they have no secondary school place. There isn't a place to be had. The Taoiseach contacted us on Friday lunchtime uh, to break some news. So a new provision would see a new special school in Carrigaline with about 48 school places. 
uh, and also then St Mary's Special School in Rochestown uh, will have a change of designation to cater for children with a dual diagnosis of learning disability and autism with 12 new school places for September 2021. Uh, and priority will now be given to those children who currently do not have an offer um, of a school place for next September. Education is a passion of mine, and particularly special education. I don't want families to go through what they have gone through um, to date. It's not acceptable that families don't know, you know, in, in, in good time that they have places, appropriate places um, for their children. But this deals, I think, comprehensively with the situation for September. And I've also worked with the Minister in, in relation to the longer term in terms of securing additional land for, for construction for special education schools into the future to make absolutely sure that we don't have a situation like this again. Uh, parents have, have, have had to fight too hard and too long in some, in some instances and as far as I'm concerned that's not acceptable. Uh, the new special school will just for your information will operate in an existing Grail School school building in Carrigaline which will become vacant in September. The number of places that need to be filled in Cork and the number of spaces then that you'll be providing come September. Well, the view is from the Department and from the National Education or Special Education Council is that this is more than adequate to meet the, the, the needs. Um, certainly there's 60 places going to be provided now. Uh, and again, if there are any other areas, we, we will work obviously to make sure that, that all children will get a place in September. That's appropriate to their needs. Uh, that's important. That's the Taoiseach, Michal Martin, speaking to Barry O'Mahony in the newsroom Friday afternoon. Mary Hickey, good morning. Morning, PJ. Was it a sigh of relief? Oh, it was fantastic. Now, we were delighted with the, the announcement. And the main thing now, PJ, is how do we apply for these places? And that these places now will have an allocation of services. Yeah, yeah. They are the old Grail Skull in Carrigaline, which that's moving to a new campus down there. Now, there's a bit of a row already between Educate Together and the department because Educate Together thought they were going in there. That's not going to happen now. So there'll be 48 places there. And then down in Rochestown, 12 additional places. For kids, I think, like Andy, who have the dual diagnosis, is that it? We're not too sure yet on the criteria of what the criteria for the schools are. So that that's all has to be trashed out. So hopefully, we'll, as as the, the week progresses, we'll get more information on this. So your first step now, Mary, is I suppose talk to Cara, where he's already going. Is that it? Yes, and talk to the senos and um, how how to actually apply for these places. Yeah. Now explain to someone who doesn't know, getting onto your seno can't always be the easiest thing to do. Uh, no, but I think they're, they're, they're ready and waiting now as soon as they have the information to help us know. We're yeah. after being, getting emails off from them already, so they're waiting on the information now as well. Yeah. How much of a relief is it, though, to know that something's happening? Oh, to, we should never have been put in this position. Like, Andy was in a special school, and to leave a special school at 12 years of age and have no, no set plan in place was absolutely a no-brainer. It should never have happened. Yeah. It sounds like... What the Taoiseach is saying, and I know Minister Norma Foley is the one who delivered it, but I think what they seem to be saying is that the old Grail skull in Carrigaline will turn into some kind of a skull triest. Yes, that, that's what I'm reading into it, and like that's, that's, the, that's the best setting for Andy because it's not just the, the education needs would be catered for, but the whole social aspect and independent living and everything, like in Triest, like it's, a, it's a, an overall education for the children. So, when do you expect to know? I mean, obviously now he will have his place. That that seems to be fairly certain. But when will you know? Uh, 
hopefully fairly soon, PJ, as I said, it's all up in the air at the minute. We need we need to be we need to get get it in writing. Yeah. That he has this place. Yeah. Yeah. Well hopefully that'll come very, very soon. Big relief to yourself oh, though and to the rest of the family. Yes, and, and to all the other parents in Cara. Yeah. Because we've been talking to other parents over the last few months, and indeed over the last few years, because this is an old, old problem. And the 60 places created, or that Michal says are created, they're very, very welcome. But they'll fill up in two years. Yeah, I think at the moment, I think there's 17 children, for next year, there's 17 children leaving Cara. 17, right. 17 children. And that's just one school? That's just one school, and that's one school that that the kids, they know, definitely need to follow on a certain route. Yeah, and that's why the, the whole planning needs to be re-looked at. Yeah, yeah, and that the ongoing review and assessments of children isn't just at Christmas before they leave. Yeah, yeah, but great relief anyway, um, Mary, and delighted for you, and delighted for Andy, and for Eugene and the girls, the rest of the family, a family I know well, the Hickeys, uh, they will be absolutely thrilled with that news, as will everybody else that has a child waiting for a place. And there's a lot to happen between now. And September, they've got the seniors got to tell them how to apply for the place. They've got to get into the place. They've got to get make sure that the places are properly resourced and all of that. But at least there has been some level of movement. That would be a great idea for the Grail Skull in Carrigaline to turn into a form of Skull Triest because Skull Triest is so badly needed. There should be a Skull Triest in every city and every county to take in all of these these children. There is a row brewing um, be, because the educate together for in that part of the world from Carrigaline, they had their eyes on the old Gale skull in Carrigaline. And in, the, in a statement they released over the weekend, they gave the distinct impression that they had nailed it down. But now they're disappointed in that. There's a bit of a soap opera to play out there, I think, as well. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. You know, I've always got the big tunes to race you through your afternoon in Cork. Bring you all the latest entertainment news. If it's happening at Side, I'll tell you about it. But it's not all about me. It's about you too, so make sure you're on the air as well. Good, beautiful sunny day here in Yon. How are you, are you, are you? <laughs> and it's glorious. But if there was a beer garden open, I would have stopped in there once in the afternoon. <laughs> Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. With Sean Cusack Insurances Can Sale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie On Cork's 96 FM Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 1850-715-996 On Cork's 96 FM If there is any more in that uh, Educate Together issue with the allocation of the old Gale Skull in Carrigaline we'll certainly keep you across it uh, Mary Hickey just messaged me there just to thank us for our part in it, we played a very small part, just giving people a voice, and have done for as many years as I can remember, and I will continue to do it as long as children like that and parents like that need their voice. They'll always have one on the opinion line on Cork's ninety six FM. I spoke. Speaking of giving people a voice, I spoke to Una Ring 
in February. You remember Una from Yall. Um, she spoke to us literally on the day that a man called James Steele from Roscarbury was jailed for stalking her. He put her through hell over a period of many months. And he was jailed uh, at Cork Circuit Criminal Court in February for that. Now, there's another woman called Eve McDowell from Sligo, stalked by a man called Igor Lewandowski. And he was jailed last May for his offences, which were horrific. Una and Eve have now joined forces. And they're trying to start a campaign for stalking to be recognised as a specific crime in its own right, which at the moment it is not. It comes under the law on harassment and they're looking for that to be changed, looking for stalking to be made a separate crime in its own right. Una Ring, I said it before and I'll say it again, she is one of the most impressive people that I had spoken to on this programme in many a long day. So I was very happy to catch up with her again last evening. Una, I suppose the first and most important question to ask you is, when we last spoke, you were just in the raw aftermath of the court case and Steele was sentenced. How are you now? Yeah, I'm 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 doing good. Um I'm doing as well as can be expected. Obviously it will be it will be a long road. I still have a lot of mental health issues. Um I suppose what people don't realise about PTSD like you have very much short term memory loss, um, lack of concentration. Um and I suppose that's what people don't know about it, you know. And also like I still see I still see him um with say in supermarkets or like in a car park, if there's anybody like his build, his colour hair, which obviously there's a, there's a fair amount of middle-aged men around, you know, and even though I know he's still in jail, I still get, get a, you know, I still kind of get a jolt and, and think it's him, even though I know my heart and soul, it can't be, but it's just the mind does play tricks, you know. Yeah, that's something that I guess we wouldn't, we wouldn't understand, those of us who've never been through anything like this, is that mm. it didn't mm. end for you. Uh, the day of the court, no. even though he no. was banged up and will be for a while, you still mm-hmm. have the, this echoing around in your mind. Exactly, exactly. And like financially, he has absolutely ruined me. And like I still can only work part time. Um, even part time, I'm still struggling with even getting tasks done because my concentration levels aren't what they what they used to be, you know. And I won't be ready for full-time work for a long time. So, I mean, it has had a fierce knock-on effect financially and to have financial worries on top of everything else, as you can imagine, is just something you could do without, you know. And uh, I think there are places that you still don't like to go. Yeah, well, I mean, the worst thing for me is that everything by the incident in Little Island happened in my home. So it has taken the good out of my home a little bit. And like I was saying... You know, I, I'd love to just repaint the top to bottom inside just to make it different. But sure, now I can't afford it because I'm only working part time, you know. And it's kind of it's kind of sad because it has at the moment it has taken the good out of it. I presume that will change. But like when I am driving to work every morning and I get to the turn off to where I suppose he basically assaulted me, really. Um, I think of it every single morning, every single morning when I pass that junction, I think of him. And that's three days a week, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's bloody difficult. Yeah. You're in contact now also with Eve, the other lady in the examiner's story. That's right. Yeah, we, we, we met after um, I had been on um, 
another radio show, she had contacted them um, looking for my number and she rang me and we were like, okay, our, our stories are, are pretty similar. Like, whereas I had, I suppose, I had all the, I had the, the letters um, and the graffiti. She had the following and him turning up in, in places that she was going to. So we had both, between us, we had both ends of the spectrum. But our cases were different up to the very end where he came to her apartment with a claw hammer. My fella came to my house with the crowbar and the rope and duct tape. Um, and like she, she, she was a very young girl at the time. Like she, she, she was only 19. She was a teenager, um, you know, and I was 49. So, I mean, I, I was 30 years older than what she was when it happened to her. And like for a young, young girl, I know for anybody it's hard to go through, but I think you have a little bit of life experience behind you when you reach my age. Whereas at 19, you're only starting out in life. It was her, like it was only her, her, her second year kind of away from home. And it, it would have been very, 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 very difficult for her. And I mean, it's, it's harder to prove, I think. Like there was no not proving my case because all the evidence was there. There was physical evidence there. There was the letters there. But it was very hard for Eve because it's very hard to prove that somebody is following you. Unless you can continuously take pictures, but then if you're taking pictures, they can see you taking pictures and that can aggravate them. And it's very, very difficult. It's very hard to know what to do. And it's very, very difficult to prove if somebody is standing outside your workplace, you know, basically, are they breaking the law if they're just standing there? You know, but I mean, if somebody is standing there for eight hours, then that's an issue. And that should be an issue, you know, and they sh- the, the, like the guards should have the justification to call them over and caution them or arrest them or whatever if somebody is standing outside for eight hours. Nobody needs to be standing outside somebody's workplace for eight hours straight. You know, you can't really prove anything. You go into Tesco's for five minutes, you come out there in Tesco's for five minutes. That could be down as coincidence. But if you go in, then you go down to Super Value and they're there. Or then you go into Aldi and they're there. Or you go out for your lunch and they're there. Then that's an issue, you know. But it is difficult to prove whereas I suppose I was lucky in as much as he left behind stuff every time he came to my house. So I kind of didn't have anything to prove because there was no case, is he or isn't he following me? Yeah. You know, yeah. so... You had great support from the guards, in fairness, as you, as you told us before. Oh, my God. They were just... At, they're an, an amazing group of people, all of them. Like, every single one of them that I met... They were just absolutely fantastic. And it wasn't even, well, I mean, it is what, what they did. They basically saved me. But even it was their attitude towards me and their empathy and how they supported me. I mean, they supported me emotionally through the whole thing, which is very, very, very important because somebody can say to you, look, I mightn't be able to help you, but it's in the way that they say it hmm. and the way that they would say, look, I mightn't be able to help you, but I'll try rather than we can't do anything for you. Yeah, like it's 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 telling you the same thing in one sense, but it changes how you feel. Yeah, and if you're brushed off, that could send you to a very dark place, and it, it makes you feel so lonely and so like unsupported. And like, what do I do? I mean, if you can't go to the guards, who can you go because to? Because you do hear of people who feel that they have been dismissed. That did that did not happen at all in your case. I, and I think, I think to be fair, 
I am the exception rather than the rule. I think I am very, very lucky to live in Yall and I'm very, very lucky that I was dealing with the All Guards because, to be perfectly honest, I have heard a lot of horror cases where people have went to the Guards and were completely... They weren't even dismissed. They were, like, almost aggressively dismissed. Mm. And that's... I mean, that's that's traumatising somebody all over again. I mean, if you think you're in danger and you go to the guards and they completely brush it off and just, like, almost back at you to get out, you know, we, we haven't time for this. Like, yeah. They make you feel like an inconvenience. Yeah, exactly. Like, where, where, where do you go from there? Whereas, like, from the very first day that I walked into the All-Guard station... I was treated with respect and it was taken seriously and they did something about it. And then from every from every time that he came to the house, they were up from the first letter. They were patrolling the park a couple of giant times during the night. And from the second letter, they were sitting there from midnight to 5 a.m. Like they, they genuinely could not have done anything more for me than what they did. And even afterwards, they were checking on me. And before the court cases, they were coming up to check, like to to go through what was going to happen on the day they went through what was going to happen the next day they'd call up and go through what happened I mean they couldn't have held me up any better than what they did you know and you do need to be held up because like nobody nobody goes to court every day you know no no lay person goes to court every day so like court is very daunting for the likes of myself and the likes of Eve and um, you know to be brought in and to be showed around and to be showed where you're walking, to be showed where you're sitting, to be shown where you're going to walk up and sit and what you're going to say. Like, to be briefed and on that is, it's, it just prepares you. And that's what happened with me. They were so kind. You can't put a value on that. You can't put a value on that. And, like, it made, it, it made a harrowing experience a lot more bearable because they softened every single part of it for me. And I just can't, I just can't say enough about them. But I know that that wasn't the case with, with, with a lot of people. Yeah. And it's it's very very sad for them that they they couldn't go to the people that they that they should be able to go to. You know. I come to the change that you and Eve want in the law in a minute. But do you know when the case is over and Steele goes off to serve his sentence, the massive support that you had right up to the day of the court, what support have you had since? Um, well, um, the, the, like the guards and y'all, I'm still in contact with. Um, and like I was offered free counselling, but it was up in the city, which, number one, I don't like driving in the city anyway because I'm used to just driving around y'all, but... Like by by the time I'd have driven from me all up to the city and got parking and spent my hour up there and my hour back, like it would have been a three hour round trip. So I I have I'm paying for my own counselling, but it's in y'all. It's on my doorstep, and she's actually very very good. Mm. You've had you've had help, I think, from Mary Crilly, haven't you, in the sexual violence centre? Mary Crilly in the sexual violence centre has been a rock um, for both myself and Eve. Um, the sexual violence centre have um, helped us with the campaign. Like it, it's 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 under us as the founders of the website we have a new website um, stalking.ie hmm. it's to help people because when myself and Eve were going through it like um, there was no help online there was there was, there was was absolutely there was nothing there was no information there was nothing so we said at, at the very least we'd set up a website and at the very most get the legislation changed 
So we contacted Mary Curley and the, the, the sexual violence centre have just been, they've been phenomenal, Mary and her team, and they, they actually, like, I suppose, created the website for us because, I, well, I, I wouldn't, I, I barely know how to turn a computer out of mine, set up a website. <laughs> but they have, they have been so good and they're so savvy. Yeah. And they're so used to dealing with the guards and dealing with the media. And, you know, you can be like the, the, the media can be your best friend or they can be your greatest enemy, depending on who you're dealing with. Yeah. yeah. And. You know, Mary is very, very good at advice on 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 who to deal with and how to deal with them. Yeah. And obviously, Mary is very has gotten very much support from the Cork media, the local media. Mm. Oh well, she's both a friend and a personal hero in my own case. You know, she's just a wonderful, wonderful person, and she's been great she does for you. Speak very highly of you, actually. Mm. Um, and you know, but like that helps because you know, if she if she speaks very highly of you to myself and and, and Eve. You know, we know then that, you know, you're the person we want to talk to. So, and, and own English in the, in the Irish Examiner as well. Like, we need that advice from Mary and we need that guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has been, she has been our rock and she has kept us steady while we're kind of on this journey, I suppose. Mm. The website, now, we, we, went, we went live last, um, we went live on, on Friday night. Like we had a lot of work. We we've been working on the talk, um, myself, Mary, and Eve, for the last number of weeks, and her team in in the sexual violence centre. We've been working so hard to get it up and running. But at least now, if somebody is going through it, they can they can go to the website, and do you know they they can get help. Good. Let's talk a little bit about the change in the law that yourself and Eve want. What exactly is it? You want that you want the offence of stalking, the actual word of stalking inserted into law. It's not there right now. No, it's not there right now. Like it's 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 all under the umbrella of harassment. Um they have different types of harassment on it, um, but it is under just on under harassment. And I know myself and you both got our, our, our prosecutions um successful successfully done and they were prosecuted under harassment, but like I don't think it's enough. Like, do you know, if somebody is killed, you have involuntary manslaughter, you have manslaughter, you have murder one, you have murder two, you have murder three, and I feel with the harassment cases, like it, I, I feel like some when I was being messaged for six weeks continuously, that was harassment. When yeah. he came to my house, that crossed the line to stalking. And I think when somebody is being messaged or emailed or called on the phone or whatever, that's harassment. I think when somebody is being continuously and aggressively followed or when someone comes to your home or your property or your workplace, then I think that does cross mm. the line to, 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 to stalking. The examiner quotes the department, the examiner quotes the department as, as saying that it is all encompassed in the current offence of harassment under Section 10. But you don't buy that. No, I don't, because, like, having... Li- like, it, it, it's easy for somebody to say it who hasn't lived through it. But, like, when you're lying awake at night and you're waiting for somebody to come to your house because they've told you they're going to come to your house and rape you and your daughter, that's that's not harassment. And, you know, and, and don't tell me it's harassment because it's way beyond it. Hmm. You know, and I was, I was lying awake and I was saying, like, what if they fall asleep in the car? the guards 
who are, who are staking out the house. What if they fall asleep and he comes in? You know, what if something happens and they don't see him? They blink for a minute and, and or they check something on their phone and they don't see him coming to my house. You know, all this was going through my mind. Like, I knew they were outside. Hmm. But I had the fear because he said he was coming to my house. You know, and I knew he was going to do it. And the guards knew he was going to do it. But, like, I was still afraid that if something could happen, that if it was raining very heavily, if they hadn't, their, like, if they hadn't their wipers on while it was raining so heavily, what if they didn't see him coming? You know, all this is going through your mind yeah. when you're in bed at night. That's, that's, that's not because of harassment. No. You know, it's far, it's far, far beyond us. Like, you can't call that being harassed. You know, and I and it and it belittles it belittles what I went through. And Eve's guy, like he 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 built a scaffold uh, uh, down down the back of where she lived, and he crossed balconies to get to her balcony with a claw hammer. That's not harassment. No, it most certainly is not. You know, and it shouldn't be because it does belittle what we went through. And I mean, if. If her um, roommate hadn't raised the alarm and, and frightened him so that he jumped out the, the uh, jumped off the balcony, and if the guards weren't outside when James Steele came to my house, I mean, there, there's a very, very big possibility that she would be dead and I would be dead. I mean, at the very least, we'd have been raped. But at the worst case scenarios, we would have been killed. And like that, that, that is a very, very big possibility. And I don't think harassment covers it. Have you had any political response? I know it's very early in the day. You launched a campaign in the last, what, 72 hours. But have you any political support so far? Well, um, I have been in touch with um, James O'Connor. Um, he's based in Yall, and he, he's going to help us out as much as he can. So at least you've got a mechanism to push it into the political arena. Exactly, exactly. So like what, what, what we are planning on doing, because the, the Minister for Justice is going on mat leave at the end of the month, obviously we're not going to contact her before then because it, it wouldn't be fair. Um, so what we're going to do is get our ducks in a row, get all our legal like legal side of it done that we need to get done because we're not legal people. We need legal help um, and we need political help. So we're going to get all our ducks in a row so that hopefully she'll be back in six months and then we can approach her and say, look, these, these are the signatures from the, the petition. This is the legal stuff that we've been given. Mm. This is the political advice that we've been given. And it'll give us time. You see, because we've been putting so much time into the campaign and so much time into the website and we have the webinar in May, we, we want to concentrate on the webinar now next, now that the website is up and running. Tell me a bit about the webinar. It's on the 6th of May at 7 o'clock. And if you go to the website, um, you can press click the button and you can register for the webinar. It's free. Um, and myself and Eve will be talking. Um, Superintendent, uh, Detective Superintendent Declan Daly will be talking. There's about seven of us. And it's just um, a webinar on the changes we want to make and promoting the website and just letting people know that we're there and we're there to help and to get everything ready for, um, I suppose, the battle. And I, I do think it will be a battle. You, you seem extremely determined to, to succeed and, and that's a great start for anybody. Una, yeah. when you discovered and got in touch with Eve, mm -hmm. how did it feel to know in that moment that somebody else had been in the position that you were in? Like, it's awful to say it was great because nobody should have to go through it. But, like, it's a very hard thing to describe what you're going through unless 
you've been through it. So it was very, very good to talk to somebody who had actually been through it. Yeah. Because you can't describe the fear unless you've lived it. And like, it's, it, it, it is like being hunted. You know, it, it really is like you are looking over your shoulder and you are on high alert all the time. You're on tender hooks all the time. You know, and it's it's exhausting. But the fear, the fear, it just weighs you down. And to have somebody else that has been through it, um, it's very, very good to talk to somebody who has been through it. You know, and it's, you know, and it's happening. Like, even from when I was speaking to you the last day, there was people contacted you saying this, that, the other happened to me, the other radio shows I was on, they were getting blasted with, with text messages and emails and phone calls saying, this happened to me, that happened to me, this happened to me. It's so prevalent and it's so not, like, it's not spoken about because, like, there's an awful lot of, I suppose, at the start you're kind of embarrassed because you're kind of saying, Jesus, if I think, you know, if I say no to somebody who wants to stop, they're going to be Christ, she's full of herself. You know, and that, 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 and I mean, that can be the attitude because I was asked, you know, was I flattered? <laughs> I was like, no. What Egypt asked you that? I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, but it was said to me. It was said to me. And there was an awful lot of, like, not blaming me, but like a, a few reporters actually asked me, how did he get your number? And I was like, well, we were on a WhatsApp group and work and he saw my number up and I didn't give him my number yeah. but like and I felt like I felt I had to defend myself but like even if I had given him my number <laughs> you know didn't give him a license to do what he did yeah you know so you know I've been asked really stupid questions and you know somebody else asked me like do, do you wear a skirt to work which I which I don't but if I did what about it you know, just because you wear a scorcher mark doesn't give somebody the license to do what you instilled it to me, you know? You know, but like people can be very unsensitive and they can be, there's, there's, there's an awful lot of victim blaming and, you know, and, and even because you go through it, you, you do go back and you do try and think, like, did I say something or did I, you know, did I, I'm like, I knew I hadn't because I, I wasn't that keen on it <laughs> But anyway. did you like, rack your brains to think if you had? You, yeah, yeah, like, I, and I did. I went back and I didn't ever say anything. But I knew I hadn't because he just wasn't my type of person, you know, that that kind of a way. So, but, you know, if it was somebody that I was kind of friendly with, I'd have been really saying, Jesus, did I leave him on? You know what I mean? Yeah. But and I suppose the other side of that was the fact that it was James Steele and I wasn't, I hadn't really no math in him. I think it made it easier for me because I think if it was somebody that I was friendly with, I really gelled with. I think I would have been really devastated that they had done that to me. Yeah. But the fact that it was him and I really didn't have much mass in him, I think it did make it easier for me. You know, because I, like, if it was somebody that I really got on well with and really gelled with and really liked, I would have felt very, very betrayed by them. Mm. Una, the, this what you said a while ago about people contacting programmes like this after your interviews. Very, very true. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of people contact us. If it is a thing that there's someone sitting listening to us right now who's in mm -hmm. a position or thinks they might be in a position like you were or like Eve was, where do mm -hmm. they start? Like what I would say to, to, to anybody is 
go to the guards, but don't go to the guards empty-handed. Don't go in and say, I think Johnny down the road is following me. You need to have times, dates, like you need to have, build them a picture of who this person is, what they are to you. Are they a friend? Are they a neighbour? Are they a work colleague? Are they an ex-boyfriend, an ex-husband? And I know I'm saying male now because it is a male-dominated thing, but I know women can stalk men as well. But give the guards something to go to 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 to, to go with. Like when I went in the first day in June, I had I had typed a statement of what had happened to me in in the, his new premises in Little Island. I had printed off all the WhatsApp messages, all the text messages. Um, he had sent me um, a link, and when I clicked on it, it was pictures of, of y'all downtown in y'all. I printed those off. I brought them with me. I gave them as much detail mm. as I possibly could so that they, and even at that, I just wanted it reported. I didn't, because he had gone a bit quiet, I didn't want them contacting him. I just wanted it reported in case anything happened on the Would line. you encourage people to share with a friend, Una, because people people keep this in their own minds. They don't talk. Would you encourage people to share it with a friend? It was my biggest mistake when I, like, I he, he I met him in this island in, in, on the 14th of February and you know what happened there. We won't go back over it. I didn't tell anybody until after I had been to see the doctor in June. And that was my biggest mistake. And it's my biggest regret because it nearly, well, it did break me. Hmm. Um, so I, like, I would say to somebody, talk, like, like everybody has their buddy or everybody has their sister or their brother or their mother or their father or their, fr- like everybody has one person. Even if you're in school, you have one teacher who you get on with. You know, there's always that one person that you can talk to and talk to them. Okay. And tell them. And sometimes, if you're if you're a very young person and this person is older, they'll have a bit more life experience. They'll be able to advise you. And if you're going to the guards, like I went to the guards on my own, um, the very first time, and what they were very very good to me. But I really should have brought somebody with me. Even even because you're so stressed, you can't really take in the information they're giving you, and you don't really listen 100% to what they're saying because you can't because you're just completely stressed out. So if you could bring somebody with you at the guard, can not like nearly talk to them because you're in such a state of stress that really you won't be taking in information. So yes. if you can bring somebody with you that will remember the conversation. Right. That's good advice. Very good advice. The, the website is called, Una, stalking.ie. Yeah. Yeah, and if you click on that, there's the link to the petition. There's a link to the webinar, which is, as I said earlier, it's free. And we're trying to get as many people to the, onto the webinar as possible. We're trying to get as many signatures as possible. But for anybody who is in that situation, there's a contact page where you put in your name and your email address and it'll come to us and one of us then will get back, you know. Um so I think it's very, very important. So if, and I mean, if you, if, if, if you don't have somebody to talk to or if you don't want to talk to somebody, send us an email or send us the, the, the page, the contact page in, in the website and, and we'll, we'll help you out as best as we can, you know. So if, you, if you're at the stage where you don't want to tell anybody yet, just send us a message and, and we'll, we'll, we'll help you out as best we can, you know. Una, I wish you well with it and we'll keep in touch with the campaign along the road. Do.
Definitely. And thanks very, very much for, for talking to me again. Like, it, it really, really does help to get the message out. Always a pleasure. Una, good luck to you. Thanks very much, PJ. Take care. That's uh, the ever-impressive uh, Una Ring speaking with me last evening. That webinar, you can register for it by sending a quick email to webinar at stalking.ie. Webinar at stalking.ie. It's a very good piece, exactly, on the front page of the examiner this morning on English. The aforementioned in that interview has a very good piece where she he uh, goes back through the two stories, Una's story and Eve's story in detail, uh, and as well as discussing the the campaign that they've started 1857 15996 Can we just talk The opinion line on Cork's 96FM With Dairymaid Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream You guys ready? Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Whether you're working out, chilling out, or clocking out, make sure you're with me on the big drive home where it's good vibes only. And we're eating ice cream in the town park in McCroom. I've got the biggest tunes and the best prizes to make your commute a little easier. Driving through town, tunes pump it, no better feeling. Sure, what more could you want? I'll talk to you weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. The big drive home. Let's go business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. The Big Drive Home. On Courts 96 FM. Now, if you were listening on Friday, you'll know we talked a lot about vaccines and about the AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson vaccines. And we had a, a long talk with John Campbell, the YouTube sensation with nearly a million followers now, about how he's concerned with the way some vaccines are actually being administered and he wants to see change. I think that's a serious question that serious uh, senior health analysts need to answer. And we did pass that up the line over the weekend with uh, Colin Bork, uh, who's a member of the Oireachtas Health Committee. Well, I've written to Paul Rees, the CEO of um, the HSE, um, and I've also written to the minister, so it's about following it up. More on that later on in the programme this morning. But we do know that the Johnson & Johnson, which is the one-shot jab, and this is the one that will get tens of thousands of people vaccinated really quickly because it's just one shot. But that's paused at the moment after they had six cases in seven million doses of blood clots. But according to the Sunday Times, health authorities think they'll be able to administer up to 40,000 doses before the end of this month with less onerous restrictions being applied to it compared with AstraZeneca, which has now, of course, only been given out to the over 60s. The European Medicines Agency is expected to approve the use of J&J later this week. Stephen O'Brien is political editor of the Sunday Times. Stephen, good morning. Good morning, PJ. This bad reaction, as it were, to J&J, it's at a much smaller scale than AstraZeneca and it looks as if Europe will say, OK, with certain restrictions and certain caveats, go ahead. Yes, that's what the sense uh, that uh, the authorities have here in, 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 the, in the HSE and in, and in government. Um, there has been one death uh, in uh, America. The 6.8 million uh, people have been uh, treated, have been vaccinated with the Johnson and Johnson uh, jab in America, uh, and. 
in that number, uh, one person has died uh, from a clotting event uh, and another person was was uh, critically ill. Um, but there were six cases in total out of 6.8 million, which is a much uh, lower uh, rate of, of clotting event than what was uh, experienced with the AstraZeneca vaccine. So the expectation is that um, the EMA, the EMA, the EMA has already approved uh, Johnson yeah. & Johnson yeah. for use in Europe, but it is now, uh, Johnson & Johnson last week paused the rollout in Europe and in America and South Africa, uh, and the uh, EMA said they would review the data from America, uh, but the expectation is that if they impose a restriction, it won't be as severe as the one imposed on um, uh, AstraZeneca by national authorities. That restriction it wasn't imposed by the EMA, mm-hmm. but we do know now that, for example, Denmark uh, has stopped using the AstraZeneca vaccine altogether. Sweden and Finland have restricted it to over 65s, and uh, like ourselves, uh, Germany, Italy, and um, a couple of other countries have restricted it. Uh, Spain and the Netherlands have restricted it to the over 50s. Oh, sorry, the over 60s, and in France and Belgium, it's over mm. 55. So um, that was a, a, a bad blow at the start of last week when the news about AstraZeneca came out, followed by the pausing of Johnson & Johnson. But uh, the, new, the, the sense now is that the Johnson & Johnson won't be uh, as, as, as restrictive, the, the, whatever conditions are imposed on it. The, 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 it'll probably be the National uh, Immunisation Advisory Committee will... Uh, take whatever the EMA says and uh, make a ruling on how it's to be treated in Ireland. They generally Um, do go along, Nayak, don't they? They generally do go along with what the EMA says. They do. They, 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 some, they can be a, a, a shade more conservative, um, but I think they're also uh, very conscious of what the impact of a very restrictive um, ruling on Johnson & Johnson, what impact that would have on the uh, vaccination programme here. Um, as you say, uh, you know, we're due, between now and the end of June, we're due to get 605,000 doses of Johnson & Johnson. Yeah. And given that it's a one-shot job, that's effectively... Uh, the equivalent of getting 1.2 million doses of, you know, be it Pfizer, uh, AstraZeneca or Moderna. Um, So uh, it would be a a big blow to to that target uh, of um, vaccinating 80% Mm. uh, of all adults by the end of June. We also, we already have some uh, Johnson and Johnson in cold storage, don't we? And we could, we're expecting more. So literally, if the EMA say Thursday, go ahead, we could start Friday. We could, we could. There are 26,000 doses, sorry, 14,000 doses in a cold storage facility in City West, uh, where the the HSE keeps its vaccines. Um, Again, another advantage of Johnson & Johnson is it does not have to be stored at these deep sub-zero temperatures Mm. that are required by Pfizer and Moderna. A domestic fridge you can put it into, yeah. Yes, yeah. So it's much easier to, the logistics of rolling it out around the country and, and, you know, dispersing it through GP and even pharmacies uh, as the, um, uh, and these mass vaccination centres that are also going to kick in. Uh, th- th- it's much easier to do it there, mm. uh, there because, um, because the, 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 you don't have to go to minus 60, minus 70 um, like the Pfizer. We'll watch it with interest. You mentioned Pfizer. There's a bit of 
political talk at the moment going on, Stephen, about the gap between Pfizer dose one and Pfizer dose two. The the evidence coming to us from places like Israel now is, and Luke O'Neill had a very good piece about this in the Irish Independent at the weekend, or the Sunday Independent, that um, you now have quite a strong resistance after just one dose of Pfizer. So they're looking at stretching out the gap from, is it four to maybe eight weeks? Yes, uh, there, there are. You mentioned Israel. I think Israel certainly was one of the countries that was uh, had, had uh, elongated the gap even further to 12 weeks, even though Pfizer itself did not um, trial 12 weeks in its uh, field te- trials and testing of the vaccine. Uh, the longest uh, window it used in, in field trials was, I think, six weeks. Mm. Um, but yes, they... they, they there is a, a, a case being made by some to, to extend it to 12 weeks, which would, again, allow you uh, get to that 80% of adults target for with their first jab much sooner uh, if people were if the second jab was deferred for people. The sense I was getting from um, within government over the weekend was that it's more likely to go to eight weeks um, and not quite as... as uh, Radical departure. Yeah. Even, from even the, age would make a significant uh, difference. Yes, because the, the window at the moment, the, the, the gap at the moment is three weeks. So yeah, it would it, it will certainly uh, increase the the speed at which the first jab can get into people's arms. Yeah. All right, Stephen, we'll keep an eye on that and indeed the Johnston Johnson situation throughout the course of the week. Thank you very much, Stephen O'Brien, political editor of the Sunday Times. Yeah, we will come back to that story about the injection protocol because in Denmark they've changed it and John Campbell told us that on Friday that they've actually changed it in Denmark that you must do another little step while you're vaccinating but we'll ha- we'll back with that one uh, later on in the program we really are trying to roll a political ball here and there is interest in it from uh, Colin Burke who is a member of the Eructus Health Committee and he's written to the HSE and he's written to the Minister over the weekend. So much more on that as we go ahead during the morning. Plus the fact that if J&J gets licensed again by EMA in whatever way it does, then we'll be able to go for this one jab. And reading a piece by Luke O'Neill in the Sunday Independent, and he was on one of the programmes as well over the weekend, he's saying, look, the evidence is there with regard to Pfizer in particular, that after one dose of Pfizer, two or three weeks after that, you have a pretty robust immune system when it comes to uh, COVID-19. And that therefore, if everyone had their first jab, we'd be a lot safer, as it were, heading into a summer when hopefully things would start opening up again. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Tom is a little unhappy with me, I sense. I'm very disappointed by the way this is being reported to describe vaccines Johnson & Johnston AstraZeneca, especially phrases, he says, comparing the number of cases of clotting among those who've had Johnson & Johnson versus those who've had AstraZeneca. We're dealing with tiny, tiny numbers here. Anyone will tell you the number of cases is so small, it's not even statistically valid. And neither is comparing between the two. 
There's quite a long time when there were no cases of concern at all with AstraZeneca. You come across as a great mathematician on air, but I don't think that was fair and other media aren't being fair either. Well, Tom, if you haven't listened before to what I've said with regard to AstraZeneca or Johnson & Johnson, if somebody wants to walk in here now with a needle and an AstraZeneca vaccine inside it, I will ask them which arm they want. I have no problem taking it. None. Uh, and and the statistics, you're right, the, st- the statistical chances are tiny, tiny. Uh, maybe you were thinking that we were portraying one versus the other or Johnson & Johnson very safe and AstraZeneca not quite so safe. Well, if you get that impression, then, then uh, sorry for that, Tom. Uh, but we will find out what happens, I guess, in the course of the week. But I personally would take either one of them right now. If anyone wants to come in here into the studio with a needle for me right now, I'm quite happy to take either one of them. 1850-715-996. Does anybody know why there were no visitors in St. Finbar's Hospital? At least according to a message that we got this morning. My husband's in hospital six weeks today. He was in a private ward and I was allowed in there last Friday. And there was lots of visitors in the corridors He's being shifted now to Finbar's, but I want to see his doctors and I want to see the odd visit with him. I don't need to see him every day, just the odd visit. I don't understand why you can visit the private ward, but not St. Finbar's. What sense does that make? On the special school announcement made by the Taoiseach, Tracy says thanks for all the support on the special school places. It won't be forgotten. Tracy, thank you very much. And as long as those families need a voice, they will find one here. But Andrew has a different take. He said, Morning PJ, I can't understand why Michal Martin would ring the show Friday as he had good news. And then when he has bad news, he gets one of his cabinet to do it. This just goes to show his self-righteous manner yet again and how imbalanced a leader he is. On the flip side, it's great news, but long overdue. And I personally think it's an insult to such people who need these services as the Taoiseach is only jumping on the bandwagon and vote-grabbing in a disgusting PR stunt. That comes from an ad man. And I know how all this political spin actually works. Thanks, PJ, from Andrew Carroll. I'll leave that where it is, Andrew, because we could have a long discussion about that, about the nature of that. But politicians have been calling journalists since both started their jobs. It's been happening for years When I was a mere humble cub reporter on the road many years ago, politicians would ring with a bit of news. That's that's just how it happens. It's it's how it gets done. People are very cynical about it, but it always has happened. 185715996, the number, the text to WhatsApp 0833969696, and your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in our first hour, remember the podcast is available to you in the early afternoon. If you're a vegan or you are a vegetarian or you concentrate on your diet and you take as much fat as possible out of your diet, you might be interested in a new study conducted at the University of Worcester and published in the Journal of Steroid Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. It's a big long name, but don't worry about it. It's a big medical journal. And it has found that low-fat diets can decrease testosterone levels by 10 to 15%. Now, in men, women need testosterone too, but in men, their levels are critical to their health. Low testosterone levels are linked to a higher risk of heart disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's. Healthy testosterone levels are also key to athletic performance, mental health, and sexual health. That's 
just from an article in the newsmedical.net website. But a lot of people are changing their diet. They're taking fat out of the diet. They're going to vegan diets. They're going to vegetarian diets. Is it possibly damaging their health through dropping their testosterone levels? Tony Martin, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How uh, are you? You, I'm very well, thank you, sir. You, over the years, have developed quite an expertise on diet and how it works with with our health through your through your fitness and and work. Have you heard this that before that a vegan or a vegetarian diet isn't good for you in the long term? Uh, I, I've heard everything about every diet, PJ. You know, you, 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 like people like to bash diets and. There's a, a whole thing going on, uh, like on, on Twitter scape at the minute, like diet wars where everybody's landing up and taking pot shots at everybody who has an opinion on it. Like, like diets in and of themselves are just ways that we live through the food that we eat. And that particular diets, if, unless they're researched fully, unless you're engaged fully in what all the implications for the diet are, then, you know, people have to do a diet. They might do the keto diet half the week and then take the weekends off. So essentially, they're, they're, they're not doing any one diet per se. Like, mm. It's just something that they're popping into a little bubble. Uh, it's not a lifestyle. And so you, you can't really make any or draw any conclusions from it because of the, 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 the nature of what they're doing, not being adherent to any one full range spec of any one particular diet. Yeah. Now, people who do engage and people who are conscientious about what they do, they tend to be very, very balanced in what they do. They look at what they do and they make sure that everything that they require in whatever particular diet that they're doing tends to be covered. So it's hard to conclude anything or look at anything in a little snapshot and and make a big, massive, profound statement about yeah. it. Is this a case really of, look, if you look at enough studies and, and read enough newspapers and read enough journals, you'll find what you're looking for? Yeah, it is like, I mean, like low testosterone is associated with a lot of risk in terms of overall health and overall well-being. Now, that's that's been seen right across a whole section, a cross-section uh, uh, studies done like all down through the years. Now, they don't know whether it's a cause-causality thing. In other words, if you look at all, say, chronically obese, diabetic, Alzheimeric people, if you check their testosterone, it tends to be low. Mm. Now, they don't know whether it got low as a result of being that or having it low caused that. All they can look at is that the end of the, or the, end of the observation is that these people have low testosterone. Which and brings us back to the old scientific um, maxim, co- you know, correlation does not imply causation. Yeah, correlation doesn't imply causation. And, and that's it. And, and you can make a big, bold statement you know, headlines can run with it, and all of a sudden, because you've got half an inkling of what's being said, oh, veganism all have low testosterone, and you know, if you're if you're eating animal protein, you're you're going to get sick. Like we are omnivorous, that means that we can eat absolutely everything. Now, if you look at what we need and require from the food, we tend to develop whatever we want in terms of what we need from the food that we eat. So what 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 allows us to thrive? with eating certain foods is the nutrient content in food. The problem that we have with today's society is that there's an absolute superabundance of processed food that is nutrient nil. There are no nutrients in it. Yeah. Now, now, people, I, first time I, when I heard this from a professor, like that a chronically overweight person, a fat person, can be malnourished. 
In other words, if you just eat a load of sugar and there's no nutrition in the food that you're eating, like sugar is just pure energy, there's no nutrition in this, then you can put on a lot of weight and be malnourished. Yes. And that's what seems to happen to people. The nutrient content of the food, because it's all processed, is very, very low in nutrient. And as a result of that, people are getting sick. There's not enough nutrition to support the type of food that they're eating. And this is where the main issue and the main problems lie. And not alone testosterone in men, but like women on the other side of it are finding it harder to conceive. Women's menstrual cycle goes out of whack. Uh, we, we tend to age a little bit faster. Decrepitude as we age tends to be a little bit worse. And now we are at the first generation of, of children who are born today are possibly the first generation, like since we started noting these things, that are, are going to die before their parents. In other words, life expectancy has gone down as a result of the lifestyles that we are leading now and the types of food that we're eating. So testosterone is just one small metric that you can look at for health. People are running with it now at the minute because it's all about testosterone, male testosterone therapy. All these things now are are, are in the broad spectrum of what we're looking at. And as a result of that, it's topical. It's in the news. Yeah. You mentioned nutrients and where you get your nutrients. Lots of people on vegan diets and vegetarian diets, Tony, are now using these substitute products, meat substitutes. Are they any good for you? Are they bad for you? Are they full of junk and look like a rasher, but they've no nutrients? What is the story with those? Well, like it, it, it's, it's uh, like it, it's, if we are to look at, at, at what humans need, right? We need essential nutrients. If we take a protein. A protein has protein in it, which is made up of amino acids. We need a certain spectrum of amino acids for us to function fully, to get all our body's repair systems working and to get us uh, like optimizing our health. Animal proteins, the protein deficiency ratio of animal proteins suit us. They're the best. They have all the essential amino acids. The thing with any type of a vegetable protein is that there's usually a shortfall. Now, to make up the shortfall, you need to mix different types of vegetable protein together to get the level of the PER up to what an animal protein is. So, for instance, if you mix, mix, uh, say, beans and grains, for instance, Mm. you you can get the protein efficiencies up by mixing, like making up the deficit in one with the surplus in the other uh, uh, and vice versa. So you kind of level out what uh, the, the, the protein spectrum is. So... If you don't, and if you're not conscious of this, and if, you're, if there's a shortfall the whole time, then your body's repair mechanisms and your body's ability to, to optimize its health will be compromised. Mm. So, you know, you, you need to know what you're doing if you're engaging in this. The big one that, that seems to be in shortfall with, with vegans and vegetarians is B12, which is uh, widely available in animal-based proteins, but mm. is, is a little bit scarce in vegetable-based proteins. Yeah. So there, there can be a lack of this, which is involved in, you know, formation of blood, anemia, etc. It's an important nutrient. But, you know, you, you can line up all these little vitamins and say that they're, sh- they're shortfalls. But, yeah. you know, if you're, if, if you're really engrossed in, in veganism and if you're living the life, you will be aware of these things. Yeah, you will you know, need... Do you need to... I mean, you mentioned, finally, Tony, you mentioned earlier on that man is an omnivore. And you said that that means we can eat pretty much anything that we want. Do, does it mean that we need to eat all the, the food groups? In other words, does man need meat, Tony? Um, does man need meat? Uh, like again, that that's a term that's a little bit anachronistic. No, need is is is, is a very relative thing. 
can we optimize our health with, 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 with whatever dietary choices we make if everything is covered? We can, yeah. Is optimizing our health with meat a lot better than the, the veganism um, route? I mean, for me, like it's a very, very easy food. It's a nutritious food. We can absorb up to 98% of meat, whereas we don't absorb all that from the vegetable-based proteins. Meat seems to suit us. We get a lot of nutrition from meat. We handle meat very, very well. It gives us everything that we need. So meat for me, personally, and it's a personal choice, meat for me is the way to go. It's important. It's a nutrient I wouldn't want to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very nutrient-dense, and it does tend to, uh, to help with, with all aspects of, of our well-being, okay. including testosterone levels, you know, right uh, saturated fat ratios. But then again, if you mix that up with a load of rubbish and a bad lifestyle, then there will be complications down the line. So, you know, just engage balance it out and exercise, stay healthy and uh, keep the rubbish and processed food to a minimum, whatever you decide to do in terms of uh, the the dietary choices you're going to make. Tony, always enlightening to speak with you on the opinion line. Thanks very much. That's Tony Martin of uh, Gyms Fitness uh, who has spent, Tony and I know each other a long time, his dad taught me PE, believe it or not, back in the day. He has become one of the most informed people on diets and the mix of food and nutrients in your diet that I know. So effectively what he's saying is that study, look, if you look around long enough, you'll find what you want, which, let's face it, is a fact of life, particularly with the amount of social media we have now. If you look around long enough, particularly on social media, you will find a study that says what you want. Just a fact. 1857 Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Helping you through Monday. I'm here in the afternoon with the biggest tunes, all that latest entertainment news. If there's juice, I'll bring it to you and everything Cork from midday on Cork's 96FM. Now there's a survey has been done by Sinn Féin into mental health. Like We all knew mental health was a big issue. It is a big issue. It's an ongoing issue. It's one we talk about on this program time and time again. And throughout the pandemic, people have been warning that when this one's gone, the next pandemic will be mental health. Some people would dismiss that. They would say, no, there's no evidence there. People are a bit stressed and a bit down and a bit this and that. But And, you know, when the pandemic goes away so will those feelings and probably for the most part they will but there is a view out there that a lot of people are really really struggling and that when all this is over they will continue to struggle because their mental health has been damaged now you did this survey uh, Deputy Thomas Gould and what did you come up with good morning good morning PJ you surveyed people on Facebook and other outlets yeah yeah what happened PJ is what we've been hearing, and I think you've been hearing, I've been listening to you discussing on the radio, since since Christmas, this new pandemic has, um, people have really suffered. People found this new lockdown very hard. Yes. Um, and that's what we were hearing. So what we did, myself and Donish earlier, TD decided to do a survey, and what we did is we, we shared it on social media and Facebook and other outlets and People had contacted us and we sent them out a simple questionnaire. And over 530 people uh, answered this questionnaire, which we were actually, we were delighted with. We felt it was a great response. But what people, what the 
the survey shows is how people are really struggling now through this. And sorry, pandemic. did you send it out to party members or party activists, Thomas, or was it open to the general public? It was open to the general public, PJ. I put up on my Facebook page and Dunnicky did the same and we shared it, uh, or the councillors and people shared it on social media. And we've got a great engagement. We've got a great engagement. But what people are saying is that they're like 86% of people that felt downhearted and depressed recently because mm. of the... And that's a huge figure. And then over 90% of people believe that the COVID-19 has had a negative effect on their mental health. Yeah. And that kind of ties into what I've been hearing and what you've been hearing on yeah. the radio. Uh, to be fair, when you talk to the experts, they do acknowledge that. Um, they, they acknowledge that this has been a very rough, particularly this last lockdown has been very rough. But they, but they do predict most of them do anyway, Thomas, that when it's all over and when we can go back to normal life, that those problems will dissipate for the most part and that most people will be okay. Well, you see, PJ, I don't buy into that. And don't you? Talk, listening to people and talking to medical experts, it's expected now that and the next crisis is going to be the mental health crisis. And... Well, we have a deputy there, Mark Ward, who's our spokesperson, and he's bringing a motion to the dial this week. Like, in Ireland, we only, last year we only spent 5.2% of our health budget on mental health services, where we agreed on a slanty care that would be 10%, and the World Health Organization says it should be 14%, and we're at 52 And we're not putting in the resources in place to help people. Yeah. Like, even the children's ombudsman has come out and said oh, yeah. that children are being left behind. I've spoken to the ombudsman about that, indeed, yeah. Like, there were two and a half thousand children. Like there was already a problem before this started, and what I think yeah. you're saying, and what I think this survey shows, to be fair to it, is the problem that was already there, it certainly hasn't gotten any better, and is likely to get very much worse, and the resources weren't there at the start of it, and they certainly aren't there now. And you see, the thing about it, PJ... There's been a lot of discussion from the health minister and the government about surge capacity in the hospitals when things got very bad in January and February. We want that surge capacity, you know, put in place for mental health services. As as we come out of the COVID-19 and more people are vaccinated and things start to reopen, we believe the surge capacity should be there. Like to have two and a half thousand children waiting for CAMS. Yeah. To have over 10,000 people waiting for talk therapy. And, and that, that, that waiting list for CAMS didn't start with the pandemic. It was there no. long before it, yeah. And it's actually getting much worse because of the pandemic. So what we're saying is that the minister must acknowledge that there's a crisis of mental health and that we need to put the services and the resources in place. Because, PJ, at the end of the day, like, we're, we're, we're fighting our way through one pandemic, we know, we know there's a huge problem with mental health and if we don't tackle it now, we're okay. going to have another pandemic later on. So here. where's this and survey going to go? You're going to pass <clears> it up the line, Thomas? Well, we have a motion in the dial this week and like what we've been trying to do nationally is link in with people because Ireland has probably been very... The whole area of mental health, PJ, has been the kind of a, an area that people wouldn't talk about. It's, it's being brushed under the carpet and a lot of people were ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. What we are saying is we believe people need to be open. They need to talk to friends and family and then go to their GP and then get professional help. Because like at the end of the day, it's a sickness like any other. If you broke your leg tomorrow morning, PJ, you'd go. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. For, uh, to win all the pedic surgery, oh, yeah. like, if you have a mental health crisis, there's no emergency services in place. It's only Monday to Friday. Like, we need to treat mental health yeah. like we treat all other health. And we've been saying that for a long time before COVID-19 was even part of, of our lives. Thomas, two things I want to ask you before you go. I know that we talked about it here. I think you were on with me, Allen Square. Uh, and there was a retrofitting going on up there. What, what's been happening? Well, if you remember, PJ, you, you gave us a lot of coverage on 86. I said, well, thank you for that. The residents at the time... Uh, in 2016, they were waiting for the retrofitting and they were told it wasn't happening and they held a protest. They were very frustrated at the time because they could see the derelict houses. Remind us again where Allen Square is, by the way. In Grana Brother. Right. In Grana Brother Road. It'd be just up between Cathedral Road and off Shannon Street. Gotcha. And what happened was the government did a pilot programme pro- program on three of the apartments, complexes in Wolfton Street, but there was another nine or ten that didn't get done. And those people came out and protested and they, held, they went into City Hall and we met with officials. And at the end of the day, uh, myself and the delegation went in and we met Valerie O'Sullivan, who was director of housing at the time, and we said, we need this. And what people are saying, you no, know, the work was finished last week. It was delayed a year over COVID, but listen, it's done now. Okay. Their, their heating bills have reduced by 50%. The houses are much warmer. They've all got the solar panels on the roof, so they have constant hot water constantly, and it's saving their electricity costs. There's no mold in the houses. There's no drafts. Well, that's great. And that's great to hear because some, some of the stuff, some of the photographs we saw at the time were horrible. Yes, and PJ, what it goes to show is when they spend money on retrofitting. In the, like if you went to Allen Square now, and if, if people see it, the difference it has made. The whole area looks much brighter. It's a nicer place to live. And I just want, the, the final point I want to make to PJ is when communities come together and stand up for what's right and fight, and people sometimes say to me, you're always protesting. Well, this is the power of protest now. When mm. people came together, they fought, and now okay. they're living in much better houses with much better, less energy costs. And it's, it's, it, and it's actually good for the environment okay. as well. Quickly and finally, Thomas, there's a lot of messages coming in to us this morning about a new statutory instrument from the Minister for Health that effectively makes going to Mass an offence. Now, he says it doesn't, but unless that Mass is connected with a funeral, and I think maybe a wedding, you can be fined for going to Mass. How do you feel about that? Actually, I didn't hear about that, PJ, and I'm astounded at I was asked to ask you about it, yeah. 
Yeah, no, like, to be honest, I, 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 I regularly go to Mass before the pandemic hit, so I go to North Cathedral, or St. Mary's on the Hill, but I'd I have to check it out, people, okay. because I'm surprised that that kind of comment would be made by a minister. And strange, and lastly, I forgot this, uh, the South Dock in Blackpool, any date yet for the reopening? Oh, please, yeah. Um, I contacted the HSC and the, again on Friday because there was an announcement that it was going to reopen at the end of the month. We're now on the 19th of April. There's no commitment. There's no definite date. I'm going to the dial in the morning. The first thing the first thing I do every week when I go to the dial is raise the issue of South Talk. I've been raising this for 13 months now. People think I'm a broken record up there, but they don't understand how important South Dock is for the people of the North Side. And I'm going to be back up there again tomorrow, and until it's open, they're going to get sick to listen to me because I'm never going to give up on South Dock Black Hole. All right, Thomas. Thanks again. 1850 That's Thomas Gould, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central. It's something I want to tell you. Oh, yeah, yeah. News from the world of soccer. And we will be talking about this new European Super League, very controversial European Super League. Our man Trevor Welsh will have all the skinny on that between 11 and 12. But news breaking. Uh, <laughs> as you know, I'm, a, for my sins, a Spurs fan. Uh, Jose Mourinho has been sacked as manager. That's interesting. It was coming, though, to be fair. It was coming. 1850 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural. And made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Cork songwriter Emo performs tonight live on Hot Press's Young and Emerging series taking place on their social media channels at 7.30pm. Emo recently appeared on BBC's new I Can See Your Voice show and has just released his new single Make You Mine. Access all areas. The Everyman and the Islander are set to launch the second in the series of their live stream monthly Friday night sessions behind the curtain. They're bringing us the soaring vocals of Lisa Hannigan and the performance will be streaming live from the Everyman stage at 8pm Friday May 7th. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streamed events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, let's just look at that statutory instrument for a minute. An SI, they're more commonly known as statutory instrument, is a little piece of law that a minister has the power to bring in based on existing legislation. It doesn't involve a change in legislation, but it can be brought in literally at the stroke of a pen by a minister. So Stephen Donnelly has brought in a statutory instrument under COVID-19 regulations that makes it a criminal offence to attend certain types of indoor events or gatherings. It focuses on indoor gatherings of all types, including religious services other than weddings or funerals with a penalty for breaches, including a fine of €127, or up to six months in jail upon summary conviction. So what we've done is we've gone from guideline to law. We had the guideline that if you were in an unauthorised mass, as it were, or an unauthorised gathering like a house party, we had the guideline that you might be fined €127. Now that's been changed under this statutory instrument, and you will be fined 
€127 for being at certain types of indoor gathering. Only virtual mass or indeed any other religious gathering, only virtual religious gatherings are allowed under this law. And that's just how it is. John rang in to express his annoyance over it. Uh, it allows only virtual services. He says the Primate of All Ireland, Eamon Martin, should have fought for churchgoers at the start of all of this. Tom finds the new law objectionable, and as a lifelong Fianna Fáil supporter and organiser, he now finds this is the party of criminalising worship and legalising abortion. Mary, or Marie, says, I go to Mass. I was a bit offended when it was announced at first, but in hindsight, it's true. The government should have approached this with more dignity and respect. People are just not used to the church being limited, especially in the area of worship. The government should know better as leaders of the country and know how to handle a situation like this and get people behind them rather than defiant. I do accept, though, that if we want to get back to normal as soon as possible, we need to change the way we worship. It's not a ban on worship. It's just a restriction for a while. And Mass has been virtual every day in every church ever since. My mother goes to Mass online every single day. This will make no difference to her. And churches, well, not under level five, but under level three or four, many churches are actually open anyway for individual prayer. So it's not a ban on mass. That's to be fair. It's not a ban on mass. It just is a law tightening up on restrictions and mass happens to be, happens to be part of it, happens to be caught in the crossfire, as it were. 1850 996 I wonder, do you remember this glorious clip from one of my favourite movies? Close eye. Concentrate. Think only tree. Wipe your mind clean. Everything but tree. Remember picture? Yeah. Make a right picture. But how do I know if my picture is the right one? If come from inside you, always right one. It's a gorgeous scene from the Karate Kid movie where Mr. Miyagi, played by Pat Morita, is teaching young Daniel how to trim a bonsai tree for the very first time and of course all those characters are back now on Netflix in Cobra Kai so all those characters are come back into our television screens with the exception of Mr Miyagi unfortunately because Pat Morita is no longer with us but the bonsai tree that was the first place I'd ever seen a bonsai tree and I had a friend back in the 90s who was mad into it as well into the bonsai tree I thought a bonsai tree was actually a kind of tree as in there was a tree called bonsai but it's not a bonsai tree is the the act and the skill and the practice of keeping a fully grown tree in a little pot and they are the most gorgeous things you will see sycamores and oaks and elms and ash trees in little pots trimmed. They're tiny, but they're fully formed and fully grown, and they become increasingly popular. Ray Egan, good morning to you. Hello there, how are you? Good. They're right. massively popular. Absolutely, yeah, and um, it's, it's, I suppose, it's like what you were saying earlier about, about mental health and stuff like that, and, and people looking for things to do. For some reason, they've latched on, people have latched on to bonsai trees, and are just giving them a go, and just trying them out. Mm. I'm right, aren't I, about bonsai tree? It's it's not a species of tree itself. It's it's the art of keeping it in a little pot. 
Absolutely. You summed it up perfectly there because that's one of the first things I have to explain to people. It's it's not a variety of tree or plant or anything like that. And it's brilliant that you that you checkmarked oak and uh, maples and the other few that because it's the trees we see around us uh, in our countryside. It's those very big, big trees, but grown in tiny little pots and they're miniaturized and the objective always is to make them look like uh, a big tree, uh, um, but small. Mm. It's a bit like Dougal in Father Ted. The ones here are in pots, but the ones there are big and far away. So, yeah, so, yeah absolutely, yes. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really, it's an art if you pursue it to a high level, but it's a really, really interesting hobby otherwise. Yeah. If you look around you at any tree you see growing in the countryside in Ireland, you, you can pretty much grow a bonsai version of that, can you? Absolutely. Now, generally, we will try to stick to things that have kind of naturally smallish leaves. So one of the ones that people try, and it's a bit of fun, is, is the big horse chestnut. They'll pick a conquer and grow it. Uh, it's hard to get to that, get the scale factor on that because the leaf remains so big. But something like hawthorn, blackthorn, mm. uh, oak maples, they all reduce they reduce the foliage size as we describe it really really well yeah. uh, and you can get a really convincing image of a, of a, of a, of a small tree. Um, Do you have to start it from a seed or can you buy the little trees and develop them yourself? So you can I suppose every tree starts from a seed but you can buy that tree uh, much later on uh, you can also go out into your garden, find a, a sapling grown in a corner that maybe the lawnmower has driven over and made a really weird shape. <laughs> You'll remember from the Mr. Miyagi, he had a scene in the movie where, where they go to a cliff edge and climb down and, and, and yes. take this bonsai tree. Uh, we call this Yamadori, just means a uh, mountain tree. And uh, so you, you can go out into the, to the Irish countryside and find really fantastic uh, miniature, already ready-grown bonsai trees in the hedgerows, in the edge of forests, uh, around cliffs and stuff like that. Uh, and that's a really good way. But you can start it from a seed. You could start from an apple pip, an acorn. Uh, you can take cuttings from some varieties. It's as broad a, a method as as, the, as as any form of gardening. How much work is involved in keeping a nice bonsai? So I always say to people, uh, 90% of the work is actually watering the tree. Uh, and because it's in a small pot, even though we're a rainy country, the summer will come. And even at the moment, the weather is dry. So you'll, you, you just need to check your tree every day uh, and, and water it, more than likely, uh, unless it's raining or, or so on. Uh, feed, I suppose, is another 5%. Even though they're in small pots, there's also often the myth that we starve the tree to keep it small. Mm. Uh, we actually don't. We feed it really well at the right time of year uh, to make it healthy and strong. Because we're cutting off branches and uh, because the roots are confined, we, we actually ensure that it's as healthy as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other 5% then are things like, like pruning, as I say, styling, which can involve wrapping wire uh, around a branch and then repositioning that. To get the shape. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And looking after pests and diseases or whatever else. They, they tend to be trouble-free. If you, if you look at the watering part, the, the, you know, there's not a huge amount of work in it. Now, the big mystery, of course, is how 
a tree, like something as big as, say, a, a, a blackthorn, and you get it down to the little miniature size, the roots, we, we've been told since we were children that the roots of trees are as big as the tree, or, or, or go as twice as big as the tree. How do you keep it from bursting the pot? Well, and, and it would burst the pot if you didn't repot at, at particular intervals. Now, it varies on the species. A pine tree, you mightn't repot too often, but certainly something like a blackthorn that produces lots of roots. You could be repotting that every two to three years. Hmm. Um, you take it out of the pot. You tease away all the old soil. Now, I use soil in inverted commas because if you really go into it, there's particular... Uh, a particular blend of, of Japanese soils that are, mm. I'll, I'll throw your names at. You wouldn't Akadama, be sticking this into La- a bag of peat moss, like? You certainly wouldn't, no. Akadama, lava, pumice. The Japanese have found that these work really well with, with uh, bonsai trees. Can you buy years. them in so, Cork then? Can you buy that soil? You could, if they're difficult to get. I sell them myself. Uh, they're, 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 they're kind of a specialty item. Uh, pumice is another uh, type. But uh, my own business, Bud Garden Centre, if you Google us, um, you'll find some information there or, or send us a, an email or something and we can point you in the right direction. Yeah. I suppose the thing about repotting, you only do it at the right time of the year. You don't want to be pulling trees out of pots in the middle of the summer, as you'll see on some YouTube videos, because if you do that for any plant, um, you know, you have disasters. So the repotting is important. Uh, but it's just part of the, the process. Yeah. People um, give them as gifts, don't they? Because they last, if they're minded, they last for forever, really. Uh, yes, and that's the thing. They could last for generations and generations and generations. Now, people often get them from gifts, gifts and they're kind of scratching their heads. I suppose, remember the water thing? That's the most common reason why maybe one doesn't die uh, or, or one doesn't live, I, I should say. Um, so, yeah, they're brilliant gifts, uh, I often get people requesting them for, for retirement gifts or around Father's Day. Uh, at Christmas, we had a huge surge in people looking for them for gifts. Um, and, yeah, and, and people remember them. They say, oh, yeah, I got that bonsai tree from my Uncle Jimmy or whatever. And mm. uh, there's a real bond there. Uh, and because there's something strange about trees, we kind of put a character to them. If it's a bunch of flowers, it's a little bit different, or a flower in a pot. But we often see characters, um, and we put human traits on trees. Yeah. Um, and we really connect with them. Uh, have you so, so, have you a particular favourite of all time, Ray? In in all the years you've been doing this, have you a particular favourite tree that you wouldn't part with for all the tea in China? Absolutely. One of my favourite trees is a pine tree. Uh, that uh, I'm originally from County Offaly and I collected a uh, 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 I call it collecting I dug up a, a, a Scots pine tree from the middle of a bog half alive nurtured it back to life and, and over the, I suppose the past 10 years I've been doing the training and the feeding and the repotting and the wiring and, and there's this huge um, there's just a huge buzz from seeing it start to become uh, the vision start to resemble what, what the vision I had initially for the tree um, because it can take some time so it, it's it's I suppose it's those trees that, that we've put a lot of work into that tend to um, be the ones that we cherish most. And lastly they are meant to be because you don't grow trees in the kitchen they are meant to be outside. Absolutely correct yeah yeah no and that's a big thing. Put them out think. on the deck. Put them out on the deck lots of sunshine lots of fresh air Wherever you see an oak tree growing in, in the countryside, 
that's where your bonsai would love to be. All right. And uh, that's it. Check them every day and have a little chat with them and just encourage them to keep going. All right. Listen, Ray, thank you very much, uh, Ray and bonsai tree expert. They are beautiful little things. Just if, you've ne- if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google bonsai tree and go for images. They're gorgeous, fully grown adult trees, little ones. Beautiful things. We talk frequently to Francis McCarthy at Black Rock Castle, the observatory down there, about things to see in the sky of an evening or of an early morning. And people often ask us, well, where's the best place? And now that we can travel a little bit more, we can get outside of our 5K, where are some of the best places in Cork to see some of the best natural sights? Francis, good morning to you. Good morning. <laughs> well... You know, one of the best places where I saw the night sky was my own home village after Storm Ophelia had knocked out the lighting. Really? I, I didn't realise the sky was as amazing here. I live, in, I live on Cork Harbour mm-hmm. and Ophelia knocked out the power and all of a sudden wasn't the sky amazing. And that's the bottom line here. Population tends to equal lighting, tends to equal poorer skies. Yes. We have scientific evidence for this. There were a couple of kids from Kerry who did a BT Young Scientist project on this. Yes. And they came in and talked to a class group about it. And they actually went and measured the light pollution in a whole pile of towns, villages and cities in around Munster and matched it to population. I see. And where did they find was the worst affected? They, well, this is it. They found there was an actual direct correlation between the brightness of the lighting and the population. So if you want to find somewhere good, you've got to go where people aren't. So Cape Clear, Sherpin, Sheep's Head, all right? Any of those places, go right. west, it's divine, all right? My husband's family are from Sherkin. We go to Sherkin. He literally has to hold my hand as my head is looking straight up. <laughs> as we're walking around in the night. I'm like, literally, no, 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 I can't stop looking. It's amazing. Of course, right? you know because, what you're looking at as well. <laughs> well, you're just getting away from the, from the lights of the people. Yeah. Um, going to the coast is good because, of course, once you're on the coast, the lights are behind you. Yeah. Look out over the water. So anywhere you, where you have that coastal view, I look straight at Ringoskitty. There is a building in Ringoskitty that has a spotlight. I do not know what they're lighting up but it lights up my bedroom, you know, which is not next to it. So you've got to look at, you know, who's around you, what are they using lighting for? Mm. Cork Sky Friendly um, campaign have been very active and talking to Cork City and to Cork County about the current rollout to replace lighting and to put LED lighting in. Yeah, yeah. Right? So LED lighting is great. It illuminates, it doesn't use as much energy, and it lasts a really long time, so it's important to get it right. Because I'm all in favour of lighting where you need it, which yeah. is on the ground. There's no need to light up like the people over in Ring of Skiddy, my bedroom, when I'm sure they're meaning to just light up their car park <laughs> to make it safe for people going in and out of work. Yeah. I have no problem with that. Just don't light up my bedroom. And definitely don't light up the sky above us. So go to a place where there's no lights and, and look up. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and the, I want to ask you something, Francis, because as mm. we've talked about, you and I, about sunrise 
um, many times and you know I have a thing about, about sunrise a lot of people are coming up to that point in the year where the sun we are coming up where the sunrise is at their most spectacular which is early May um, oh I mean I'm, I'm a sunrise fan as well I'm a sunset fan just yeah. that change of light yeah. have you a particular uh, favourite spot in all of Cork to sit and watch the sunrise do you know, I've got to say, um, that is tempered somewhat by, do I have to get up before sunrise and get there? <laughs> Supposing you had to. I love watching it come up over water. Yes. So oh, anywhere yes. where I'm facing east, so I need the water to the east of me. Yes. You know, so I get that a little bit where I am. I like it when it's northeast, because for me, it's then rising over cove, and I'm getting the... The, ch- the spires of the church lit from behind. I love that. East Cork, where you're going east, like West Cork doesn't work when you're, you're having to look at the land. Yeah. You got to go east. You got to go to East Cork. East and look out and, at yeah, the water. And look out over the water. You need to find yourself that beautiful beach, maybe with a headland to the east of you that it's going to come over the headland. Oh, yeah. Valley it's magic. Cotton. And get up and be prepared to get up in the middle of the night. Bally Cotton, yes. Be prepared. Oh, I'm just thinking. (laughs) Be prepared to (laughs) get up in the middle of the night and drive to the coast. And bear in mind that if anybody else has this great idea to look at the skies there, park and get out and walk. Because if you try to drive up to where someone is looking at the sky, they're not going to thank you for the car headlights. <laughs> not indeed. Francis, good. Always good to talk to you. 1850-715-996. Francis McCarthy from MTU, Blackrock Castle Observatory. If you want to look at the sky, make sure there is no light. Get out into the dark. Yeah, I think I have a, a plan to get up early one Saturday morning soon and go for a sunrise, and I think Ballycotton is the place. <laughs> The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Coming up among other things before we finish out today... One of the most mysterious, if not the most mysterious, missing persons case in the history of the state. A couple from Formoy. It was 30 years ago, this month, the, the O'Dwyers disappeared. That's coming up this hour. Also, we'll find out what's happening or likely to happen with that European Super League. Our man Trevor Welsh of the score and, of course, of Premier League Live will be across it and tell us exactly what's involved and why it is so damn controversial. It is leading news bulletins in Britain. The days that sport lead news bulletins means it's a big story and it's leading uh, news bulletins across the water. A lot of people are not happy at all that the top six clubs are possibly going to join this European Super League. So we'll catch up with our Trev and get the skinny on that. Someone here says that Mourinho is going to Dundalk. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Oh, Thomas Gould is back on to say, I forgot we're holding an online meeting on Zoom tonight at 7.30, encouraging people to join in. Uh, Contact me on Facebook and we will send out the link. Thanks from uh, Deputy Thomas Gould, 1850-715-996. Here's something that you'll have noticed because I've noticed it. And when we get out of your 5K over the weekend and go a little bit further and beyond, 
I just wanted to bring your attention to the number of food trucks going around at the moment. It sounds good, but they're in areas where there's no public toilets. I really don't know how this is going on, because if you open a restaurant now, you need three toilets, one for staff, one for the public, and one for the disabled customer. Surely there could be some kind of licensing for that. And there is a proliferation of small little trucks. And it's great to see. It's lovely to see, and it's a nice little bit of business. The licensing, I think, and I'm open to correction on this, the licensing was kind of, as they say in Irish, Quirha or Cal last summer. They, were can- they didn't do any real licensing process last summer. So it became a bit of a free-for-all, and I don't think they've rectified that situation. So you can pretty much now pitch up and sell chips and coffee and sandwiches and whatever you want anywhere pretty much anywhere because there's no there was no licensing system last summer and places that were kind of agreed pitches for years they just started pulling up anywhere and opening up and turning on the flyers and you can do that because the licensing seems to have gone a little bit by the board but they're everywhere now and that caller is wondering you know where's the provision for litter where's the provision for toilets nice one Thanks for that. 1850 If you missed anything, of course, from our first two hours this morning, remember that the podcast will be available in early afternoon. Now, on Friday, we were speaking with Dr. John Campbell. And as you know, and since he was first on the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, John Campbell's following in Ireland has skyrocketed. His following in Cork absolutely spiked And the guy now has a million, or close to it, a million subscribers on YouTube. And his videos have been watched by nearly 40 million people around the world since he started doing them about a year ago. John is a retired nurse and a retired nurse tutor. And he's worked in psychiatric nursing, general nursing and emergency nursing for over 40 years. And he's using that experience and that knowledge to explain to us the various ins and outs of the pandemic, be it vaccines, be it how cases are spreading, be it, you name it, he's got the data and he knows how to analyse it. And his incredible teaching ability means that watch one of his videos for 20 minutes, half an hour about something you didn't understand and by the end of it you'll have a fantastic layman's understanding of any issue. And we spoke with John twice now and hope to have him on as regularly as possible, but he has made a very interesting observation about these blood clots that are occurring with the AstraZeneca and with the Johnson & Johnson vaccines. And John thinks he knows why it might be happening. He has a theory as to why it might be happening. And John has found a bit of research from 2006 that makes him even more certain that this at least needs to be looked at. And he spoke to me on Friday about it because he wanted to push it up the line, as it were, and get attention drawn to it. These are Johnson Johnson, AstraZeneca and Sputnik. We don't have Sputnik here yet, but the Russians have offered it to us. Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca are both what they call adenovirus vector vaccines. Now, it doesn't matter what that means. That's just what they are. Adenovirus vector vaccines. And John reckons that the problem might be arising in the way that they are injected. What we're always taught as nurses is when you put a needle in, you should always draw back a little bit 
blood comes back into that needle, that means you're in a blood vessel. Then you would take it out and, and try again. Now, it very rarely happens. I've just, when, when I started looking at this, I started thinking back through 40 years of experience. And I think that's only happened to me maybe once in 40 years. But suppose that means that's once in, say, 10,000 injections, that it goes into a vein instead of going into a muscle. Mm. Now, this data from 2006 showed that if you give adenovirus vectors intravenously into a blood vessel in mice, not done in humans, because that would be unethical, obviously. So in mice, if you give these intravenous adenoviruses, they will stimulate the platelets to start clotting. That, and that will trigger blood clots. Now, that, that happens if you give it intravenously. Mm. So the current protocols for giving these vaccines are from the World Health Organization. And I don't know about the Irish protocol, PJ, but I suspect it's the same. And in, in the UK, the protocol is that you stick the needle in and you don't aspirate. You just inject straight away, kind of hoping for the best that you're in a muscle. Now, now 999 times out of a thousand, you will be. Mm. So do you think maybe, John, that a trick was missed and a red flag either not seen or ignored? I think that's a serious question that serious uh, senior health analysts need to answer. Now, if you take Denmark, for example, Denmark has changed their policy. They have said for all, all nurses and doctors who are giving uh, an injection for, for coronavirus should stick the needle in and aspirate before they inject. Now, Finnegal TD, Colin Burke who is a member of the Oireachtas Committee on Health, was listening on Friday morning to the interview with John Campbell and he was taken by it. And he spoke briefly to me on the programme after John's interview. I caught up with him again across the weekend to see where we might go from here. Colm, good to speak with you again. Uh, we spoke briefly on Friday after you'd heard what John Campbell had to say about the administration of the vaccines in muscles. You're taking that seriously and, and you've pledged to take it upstairs, as it were. Yeah, well, I've written to Paul Rees, the CEO of um, the HSC, um, and I've also written to the minister. So it's about following it up. And in fairness, now I've got an acknowledgement back from uh, the chief executive's officer acknowledging receipt of my letter. So it's a case of following it up there and um, probably would be meeting with the minister over the next few days as well. And I will also be speaking to him. And I think it's a case of, you know, we can all learn as we go along in this process and an awful lot of what has occurred over the last 12 months is very new and very new to the medical practitioners. Therefore, when someone comes forward with a, uh, identifies a, a solution to a problem, then I think we should, ha we must give it serious consideration. I think listening back to John and watching his videos again, I get very distinctly the message from him. Look, this may not be the answer, but it's a possibility and it wouldn't hurt to try. Absolutely. And as I was saying to you, you know, there's injections are given in different ways for um, different patients. And in a sense, we need to look at something as positive as this um, in relation to the rollout of vaccine. Remember, we're talking about everyone in this country over 18 getting vaccinated. Um, therefore, anything that can save one life is worth looking at. Because is, is it a thing we would have the stock probably with Johnson & Johnson and with AstraZeneca, we would have the stock to get ourselves up to full, full speed again if we were to do something like this, just change that little protocol? 
Absolutely. And um, I think the, you know, the disappointing aspect was the Johnson Johnson one because of the fact that we could get a lot more work done in a shorter time period because it's one vaccination only. Therefore, if we could adapt what he is speaking about and it can, it, it shows that there is um, a benefit in doing it, then I think we should give it serious consideration. Is it something that you would consider maybe even inviting John to speak at the health committee? about I, I want to see what the um response back now i'll probably get a response back from the hse from the medical side um and um once i get that back then i will consider then about bringing forward but i think one of the advantages of john and i've listened to a number of his videos now is that he's been very constructive for instance when he was on your program he referred for uh, to our report on the vitamin d mm. and extremely constructive and you know as I said, we have learned an awful lot in the last 12 months. There are things that we can do in the healthcare sector, which is proactive. We've adopted an attitude in, in, in Ireland about we respond to a medical problem when it arises, but then there's a whole lot of work that we can do to make sure that that medical problem doesn't arise. And one of them was the whole issue about vitamin D. And I think it, it, there's a, lear- a lesson to be learned there. Let's look at the vaccine programme in general, um, because obviously the setback we have at the moment with AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, that will work out as it does or as it might. But the government has said to us, of which, of course, you're a, a government TD column, that everybody who wants one will have access to their first dose by the end of June. Is that still realistic and viable? I think it's a major challenge and there's no point in saying otherwise. It is a major challenge. We have about 815,000 now. And this is, um, you know, mid-April, we've about 815,000 who've got one, at least one vaccine. Another 210, 215,000 have got their second vaccine. But we have a long road to travel. Um, and it's about, um, I suppose, trying to have a clear pathway and making sure that we get the supplies. And I think the good news during the week was that we're now going to get an extra 50,000 um, Pfizer vaccines, mm. uh, dose of vaccine in uh, every week for the next 10 weeks. The Russians, through their embassy, have offered access, I believe, to, to Sputnik supplies. Any appetite to take them up on that offer? I'm not clear where they are with the European Medicines Agency about um, having that cleared. And I, I must admit, I haven't looked at that issue yet. But I do think that the fact that Pfizer now are giving us an extra 50,000 doses a week over 10 weeks is a huge. Mm. And, and we're now talking as well about um, delaying the second dose for a period of time in order that we can get the maximum number of people with the first dose. And I think that's a wise decision. Mm. So if we can get 500,000 more people vaccinated, um, uh, then the, it, it'll be a major step forward. But you, you do see it as a challenge to get the first dose for everybody who wants one by the end of June, do you? I think we have to be realistic. There, there, are, there have been glitches in the system along the way. It would be wrong of me to give the impression that there are going to be no glitches over the next 10 weeks. Colin, there's something that I know you wanted to bring to our attention with regard to a new elective hospital for Cork. Now, it's in the plan for Sláinte Care, but you've seen the plan and you're not happy with it. I'm not. Well, basically, if you can go back to the background here, and I can go back to the 60s, PJ, where the Fitzgerald report in relation to the review of hospital services in Cork identified that there should be two major hospitals in Cork. And that was back in the 60s. 
we built one, which is Cork University Hospital, and we uh, gave a commitment on the programme for government, the uh, 2040 plan, that would there would be uh, three new um, elective hospitals built, one in Galway, one in Dublin, and one in Cork. And now Santa Care have come back with a, a proposal, which is very much a very watered-down version of what we were expecting. Like what we were expecting was another hospital, almost on the same scale as COH, that would handle elective and non-urgent stuff, that all the really sick people in the emergencies went to COH. Sounds like a great idea. What's wrong with it? Well, the proposal now from Santa Care, it appears that and remember, the South Southwest Hospital Group produced a very detailed plan, plan back in 2015 about the new the need for this new hospital. The contents of that report seem to have been totally re- ignored. What is now being proposed is it would be a, a day hospital where it would be two four-hour sessions. It would be open six days a week, uh, 50 weeks of the year. So it's very much a scaled back. With respect, that's only an overgrown health clinic. Like you're talking no Absolutely. surgery, no overnights. Well, there would be day procedures, um, but I, I'm not sure about the overnights. That's not clarified in the report. But the, the issue that arises, for instance, if you have anyone going in for any elective procedure who also has an underlying condition, whether it is a heart condition, whether it is diabetes, whether their BMI is far higher than what it should be, then they would be at risk in a facility like that. And therefore, they would have to go through to have their medical procedure. They would still have to go to the Mercy Disorder. Which would defeat the purpose. Which would defeat the purpose. And then we're talking then as well about building kind of a, a fort a fort facility, medical facility in Cork in real terms, is, which is not what we want. And I think we really need to focus on this. So what do you plan to do with this this knowledge? Well, of I've, well I've written to all of the um, ministers in the cabinet, the Gael ministers in the cabinet, and uh, including the Tánaiste, and also to Stephen Donnelly, expressing my um, disappointment with this proposal. Um, I've also arranged for um, both the HSE and Slauntercare to come in to the Health Committee um, and I'm hoping that that will happen in May um, so that we can go through what is now proposed. I left it there with uh, Colin Burke. He wanted to bring that to our attention because that's one we'll be following here. But in particular, uh, he will be taking or has taken John Campbell's message upstairs, as it were. And we'll follow that one. Uh, expect to hear back from Colin Burke in the next few days as to where we go from here on that. 1850-715-996. Who knows? Something might be about to happen. And it might have started here on Cork's 96FM on The Opinion Line. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Prince William has been named the world's sexiest bald man. Um, the Rock has weighed in on this. Yeah. Uh, the Rock has weighed in, and he's he's not happy. He's not happy. And people were thinking, oh, The Rock is is obviously putting himself forward. Yeah. The Rock has tweeted this. How in the cinnamon toast f does this happen when Larry David clearly has a pulse? <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with No DC Cars Blackpool for Skoda in the City, a long standing tradition in Cork. Open 24 7 at nildc.com. Cork's 96 FM. On the 30th of April 1991, a couple, uh, Connor and Sheila O'Dwyer from Fromoy, were last seen. 
They literally disappeared off the face of the earth and haven't been seen since. It's one of the longest running missing persons in the history of the state. And still, to this day, the Gardaí haven't a clue where to turn. I think that's fair, isn't it? Ralph Regal, Southern Correspondent of the Irish Independent. Good morning to you. Good morning, BJ. You're writing about this in the paper today. Nobody knows what happened to these two people. No, they don't, BJ. And that's despite um, a major guard investigation. That's despite numerous appeals. That's despite a major kind of a, 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 an appeal, including a television reenactment of the last sighting of Connor and Sheila Dwyer. And that's despite um, police in, in several jurisdictions supporting the Garda investigation here. There's been no trace found. Lots of leads have been followed up. And there were um, reported sightings in France, in Germany, in the UK, uh, all of which were chased up. But Garda, you know, believe that they were people genuinely contacting them, but that they weren't actually um, the couple that were seen. And for many years, PJ, um, the belief was that the mystery would be solved if the guards could find the white Toyota Cressida car that, yeah. that Connor and Sheila. It, it was their personal car. Um, it was a registration number 5797ZT. Uh, and that Toyota was never found. Uh, there were no parts from it ever found. And Gardy always believed that if they had been able to trace the car, that would have been a major step forward in terms of solving uh, the riddle of what actually had happened to this couple. It disappeared with them. They obviously left in it. Is that what we believe? That's what they believe. And also the guards believe that, you know, locating the car would give them possible forensic evidence, but it would also point them in the right direction in terms of a location, an area, uh, some kind of a clue as regards what happened. Uh, but they ne- they didn't find the car and ultimately they never got the lead that they hoped that they would find. Mm-hmm. And what makes the case particularly bizarre was it genuinely seems as if this elderly couple, they were both in their early 60s, as if they just stepped off the face of the earth. And they were last seen on the morning of April the 30th. They were going, they lived on Chapel Hill in Formoy. They were walking the very short distance to go to a requiem mass uh, for a local person in Formoy. They were seen by a young girl and there was pleasantries exchanged on the street. They went to the mass and that was the last sighting of the couple uh, when the alarm was raised by their family. About a week, maybe 10 days later, when they they weren't able to contact either Connor or Sheila, concern was raised for them. Uh, both of their adult sons were adult at that stage, and they were both working overseas. So the family contacted the Gardaí. The Gardaí got access to the family home. And it was as if the couple had just gone out for a walk and had not come back. And uh, None of their clothing was missing. Um, important documentation was all within the house. Uh, there was money left in the house. Uh, their bank accounts were never accessed after April the 30th. It literally was as if they just stepped off the face of the earth. Isn't it just bizarre that they were never spotted, the car was never spotted at a ferry port anywhere? Yeah, and I mean, missing persons cases happen all the time. I mean, you've covered plenty of them yourself over the years, but they usually only involve one person. Yes. And there's in, in many cases, there's some kind of an indicator of what is involved. It is very, very unusual for two people without any reason or explanation or any hint 
of why they might disappear. This couple were living an ordinary life. They were very close to their family. They were very friendly with their neighbours. And it literally as if they just vanished. And there was no indicator of where they might have gone. There was no possible motive or reason for them vanishing. Uh, and it was it baffled Gardy involved in the case. And I suppose one of the lines of inquiry at one stage was that um, Mr. Dwyer had worked as a kind of a part-time assistant handyman for a German businessman yeah. who lived outside Formoy. He would check his cars, he would do odd jobs for him or whatever. And that's why Gardy were intrigued. There was a supposed sighting of um, the couple in Germany. Now, Gardy don't believe that that actually was the couple. They believe it was a genuine but mistaken contact. But that's why the German thing was quite of interest to, to yeah. them because Connor had this connection with the German businessman in North Cork. I listened to a documentary that RTE made a few years ago and one thing I, I gleaned from it was that the locals, even to this day, seem very uncomfortable talking about it. They do, and I think there are a number of reasons for that. Um, I think it's because there has been... One of the things is that online there's been a lot of theories and speculation, some of which I think has been quite hurtful for the family, and that's why locals are very respectful of the family. They're very respected um, family. They're very well-liked locally, and people don't want to cause any offence or hurt by commenting on issues like that. And I think as well as the fact that you're talking 30 years on, and I think for some people, it's reopening old wounds, yeah. particularly for the children who did find it very difficult and to be at the center of such, you know, there were, mm. there's been a lot of media attention on this over the years. And the reason it's been written about today is because the 30th anniversary is on April the 30th yeah. and because the Garda file is still open and active. But there has been appeals on the 5th, the 10th anniversary, the 20th anniversary. Yeah. There was that very high-profile RT documentary that you mentioned there. And I think people are just very mindful that while it is an ongoing issue, they're very mindful of not causing hurt to, to the mm. loved ones well, involved. Well, there would be, there would be 92 and, six, or, and, and 91, respectively, now, had they, were they still alive. I, I, have people given up on that now, Ralph? Well, I think all the indicators are that it, it's it, there. We, we simply don't know, PJ, but yeah. certainly given the age profiles involved, I think it's fair to say that that's unlikely. But the very fact of where they went, um, what circumstances did, did they go there under, even in terms of things of having a, a grave or having things like that where loved ones can pay their respects, it's just, it's almost like a chapter that's not been closed. And I think some people locally, they, they do want to know for the benefit of the family but they're also mindful of not causing offence Okay, alright, listen uh, thank you very much, Ralph Regal, Southern Correspondent of the Irish Independent on the bizarre story of the disappearance of Connor and Sheila Dwyer, 62 and 61 they were in uh, April of 1991, my goodness it, it's, it's just a bizarre mystery it remains unsolved. 1850-715-996. I want to go to our man Trevor Welsh to talk a little bit about this European Super League, what it might involve and whether it'll actually happen. Morning, Trev. Good morning, Pete. Will you hold on till I clear a break for me? I will indeed. Cheers. Thank you. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. 
Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Helping you through Monday. I'm here in the afternoon with the biggest tunes, all that latest entertainment news. If there's juice, I'll bring it to you and everything Cork. From midday on Cork's 96FM. Sometimes in a sports story leads the main news. We've heard it happen from time to time here in Cork. But in the UK, a sports story was leading the news this morning. And it was the story that 12 of Europe's leading football clubs have announced they've agreed to establish a new midweek competition, the European Super League. It'll involve Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea and Tottenham, along with AC Milan, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Inter Milan, Juventus and others. It's a huge story, Trevor, but it's not going down well. Good morning. Good morning, Peach. No, it's um, it's not going down well. I mean, I was tuned into the match of the day last night uh, just for the, the the update on it. I was obviously aware of it. I mean, this has been muted, uh, you know, a good few years back. But I think it's, it's uh, you know, the pandemic has re- refocused the minds on it, Peach, because the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, for example, have lost huge money, huge revenues during the pandemic. They're calling this now the European Greedy League. And as you mentioned, you know, it has been met with widespread criticism from governments, domestic leagues, football federations, as well as UEFA and supporters. I mean, this this could really uh, be very dramatic for, for football and it could be catastrophic. I mean, I read a Premier League statement this morning as well, Page. It says that a Super League would destroy the premise of open competition. Fans dream that their team could be, you know, climb the, the mountaintop and meet the best teams in Europe. You know, it's hard to see that the fans would back this speech, you know, football without fans with nothing, as we've seen in the pandemic. Would this involve the other, those clubs, namely, say, Man City, Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, leaving the Champions League and maybe even leaving the Premiership? Yeah, well, the thing is, um, I, I feel, and this is what I've, uh, this is bringing you up to date with what's happening. I know that the world governing body, FIFA, has previously said it would. Uh, it would not recognise such a competition and any players involved could be denied a chance to play at a World Cup or the domestic leagues. And, you know, you look at um, the way they've, the European Super League have responded to this. It's uh, the club owners. Uh, they, they want to seek more money, obviously, from their clubs and they got a protection in court. Now, they didn't name the court, but, uh, you know, it's run like a business, as you know, PJ. Mm. Football, massive business. So the club owners are saying that they have the right to earn more money for their clubs and they can't be blocked by any anyone like UEFA or FIFA uh, you know I think that this is a threat as well to get more money from the new restructured Champions League format that's due out actually today Peach uh, the new Champions League format from for 2024 uh, with um, 36 team league one 36 league uh, league um, Champions League to replace the current group stage we'd say mm. where every team will play at least 10 matches but, uh, you know, that, that's a bit of a threat as well, I think, from the uh, new European Super League uh, to say they want more money. They're not uh, going enough uh, that the Champions League away for it's not enough for them. Uh, yeah. So it, it really is all down to money. It's not exactly the beautiful game, is it? It's, it's all about the book. It's all about the book, yeah. It's, it's terrible, like, um, for, for the fans, you know. I mean, you know, um, I've been working, as you know, on the Champions League PGA for the last 21 years. Yes. And, uh, you know, Alex Ferguson himself has come out and said that the Champions League is the, is the best 
football tournament for him, better than the World Cup. He said the standard of it is fantastic. And then you look at this year, uh, Munich played PSG, ironically enough, two clubs who don't want to be part of this new Super League. But their game was phenomenal, their um, quarter-final match. And, um, you know, they, they've, they've said now that they don't want to be part of it. And mm. you're looking at the champions of the Champions League, Bayern Munich, and a team beaten in last year's final, their PSG. But um, as you mentioned... And you this know, would be a league that there would be no relegation, no promotion. It would just be an elite little club, as it were. That's it, with um, the promise of five other clubs who, who excel. So as you mentioned, like it's not an open competition. It's a bit like, you know, it smacks of American for me, you know, like the baseball and the American football. The same big teams are in every year. No promotion, no relegation. I mean, I can't see fans backing that. You look at, Peach, like Everton, for example... They're on the verge of building a new stadium, 500 million. So, you know, with their ambition to be in the Champions League, but it'd be so diluted. Like, if we're taking away Man United, Man City, Arsenal, Tottenham, and Chelsea from the Champions League, you wonder then how will even UEFA nominate teams to go in for the Champions League if the, their biggest clubs in the Premier League are in a Super League? How do they get their teams then? Because, as you know, finishing the top four is huge now mm. in, in the Champions League. Arsene Wenger had said before he left Arsenal that. You know, to get Arsenal into the top four is bigger than winning a cup competition. Yeah, yeah, so, because it's obviously got that European Champions League value to it. The the money involved, I mentioned it a while ago, yeah. Trev, it's it's telephone numbers. Five billion dollars from this American bank, JP Morgan. Yes, incredible. Um, I mean, uh, that, that's the whole thing. I mean, clubs are, like, you're looking at, you know, the teams who split into two groups of ten and play nine opponents um, playing the same league, but the man behind us, I think, is Flor- Florentino Perez. He's the president of the Real Madrid. Uh, he'll be the chairman of the Super League, apparently. Then the Glazers, of course, who's co-chairman of Man United, will be its vice-chairman, uh, among, uh, along with the Juventus Supremo um, Angeli. Uh, both United and Liverpool, we, we believe, will be banking $310 million up front, and others will get $200 million. And that's a lot more money than, than you get in the Champions League. And um, that, that's where it's at at the moment. I think, uh, as you said, JP Morgan pumped something like close on five billion into it. Uh, even if you lose every game, PJ, in this Super League, you're guaranteed 130 million. And you can't even be relegated. Now, Trevor, you're a, a lifelong Manchester United fan. What would Alex Ferguson think of this, do you think? Yeah. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head because I did read something from him. He did respond to it, a very short little response he gave. Um, he said that you're taking away the history of the Champions League, of European football, which is in place for nearly 70 years. I mean, you know yourself, you know, soccer fans will say, how many times did you win the, the European Cup? Um, you know, Real Madrid are, are obviously the Masters, 13 times winners. But, you know, there's great history in, and, and the whole principles of Matt Busby forming that European Cup with the best in Europe coming up against each other. But if you're this Europe, you would say European Super League, Peach, it'd be like, you know, me being a United fan, and I remember going to watch Champions League matches as well as commentating Champions League matches to see United Madrid. That would only happen once every six years, maybe. And the whole build-up to that, the whole excitement, that yeah. you know, for Manchester fans in particular. It's like a Rolling Stones concert. You know, it's, yeah. it's that like, big, yeah. Yeah, like I'm from Cork, but take the Manchester fan and Madrid coming to their town to play their club, Manchester United, we'd say, for example. You know, that they play each other once every six, seven years, uh, and it's a huge deal. But to play them every, every few weeks, I mean, I can't see fans backing that, I okay. have to say. You know? Trevor, lastly, you'll have heard, I'm sure, the story that got out then this morning that Jose Mourinho 
sacked by, by Spurs, which to be fair, those of us who follow Spurs kind of saw coming. But mm. to get rid of him, £15 million. Pounds. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that, that's where the Listen, game is They can is at. sack me tomorrow if they're that much money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's where, that's where the game is at, Peach, unfortunately. And I think Jose Mourinho's star has fallen a yeah. while back, you know. I mean, obviously he's a serial trophy winner, but, um, you know, maybe he, he's passed his best. And, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm not surprised they got rid of him. And I know that when he went to United, Bobby Charlton didn't want him because of the baggage that came with him. And it's all about Mourinho. It's not the team. It's not the club. Oh, no. It's the special Mourinho's one, goal. as he calls himself. Yeah. Yeah. Any any replacements on the horizon while you're there? Uh, for, for Tottenham? Yeah. Um, it's a good one because, you know, like, I suppose you're looking at who, who's there at the moment. I mean, David all the good guys are in jobs, like... Yeah, the good guys like David Moyes done superbly well with West Ham. Um, you know, most of the good guys are in the jobs. I suppose they'll go for another another big name, obviously. Mm. Um, you know, but mo- most of the, the big guys are in in the jobs at the moment. I can't think of one off the top of my head. That's no, not in the I, jobs that that's why I, I was racking my brains as well to see who the hell do you go for. And there isn't anybody out there that doesn't currently have a job. Trev, listen, good to talk to you, as always on the Opinion Line. Thanks very much. That's Trevor Welsh, uh, presenter of the uh, Imro Award-winning score on Sunday afternoons on Cork's 96. And of course, the host of Premier League Live, powered by TalkSport, on Saturday afternoons on the 96FM app and 96FM.ie. There's a little thing starting on a thing called Football Tweet that apparently Mourinho was sacked this morning. There's some people saying the decision was made on Friday, but he was sacked this morning apparently now this is the latest rumour it's all turning very nasty he refused to bring the squad out for training as a protest against the European Super League and that apparently is why Jose Mourinho was given his marching orders this morning it'll cost them 15 million pounds starting to get rid of him a lot of people don't like him never have liked him I wouldn't exactly be his number one fan myself but that's a very principled stand to take. And if that's true, then he'll have gone up with a lot of people's estimation. 1850 Just, we were talking earlier on this morning to Una Ring about her campaign that she started with her friend Eve from uh, Galway about trying to make stalking an actual offence in law, which it isn't. And we had a, a lengthy chat with Una about it, which you'll be able to hear on the podcast, of course, later this afternoon. It's not an offence in itself. It's covered under harassment. And Una wants it to be made into a law unto itself, as it were. Mary Crilly was on to us from the Rape Crisis Sexual Violence Centre. If anybody needs to talk, they can just contact the centre as well. Or indeed, if they want to be part of the webinar or look at the website, the website is stalking.ie. But Mary was on to say that they will talk to anybody who wants to talk to them if they're in a very, if they're in a difficult situation at the moment. 1850-715-996. Let us go to a, a happy little story that took an awful lot of work and an awful lot of arrangement and scheming to make it work. Blue Cassidy, good morning. Hi, Terry. Thanks for having us on. PJ here. Ha- I, listen. Oh, sorry, PJ. Con- sorry. You're good. You're good. You're good. Congratulations. How how did you manage to make all the parts of this fall together? Because it's more. It's got more twists and turns than an episode of EastEnders. 
Yeah, I think the main word here is luck, to be honest. Um, <laughs> we only had one shot to make it work, and luckily the weather, um, her believing the excuse, the lockdown ending, um, everything fell into place just perfectly. I think if I had to do it a second time around, there's every chance it would have been a disaster, you know. So remind listeners what you did in order to propose to Maria, who's there with you, I'll talk to her in a second. What did you do? What did you scheme? Well, it was basically um, to try and get her out on the end of this crazy high uh, majestic cliff and propose to her with a drone um, which delivered the engagement ring tied to a line um, from from the shore, you know. Uh, yeah, it was it was quite quite a difficult one to, to come up with. But Niall Duffy from West Cork Photo, big shout out to him. He's such a great guy and uh, he's a friend of the family. He helped us all the way through. I kind of had the idea. And he, he was great. And from, from the start to the end, we, we started it uh, last year and uh, found the location and then uh, got Maria to believe we were doing a promotional video for Tourism West Cork, which ironically enough, it probably has turned into a promotional video. I'm sure, because you, you were into <laughs> Dunene near Alihees, one of the most beautiful right. places in Ireland. Gorgeous place. Yeah, yeah, I think a few people will hopefully be going down there to visit and take in the splendour, you know. You could have a load of drones dropping rings in there if you know. There's going to be a fleet manned by by Niall Duffy as the captain. So and you, a, a big you shout convinced... out to Stenin O'Connor as well from Vantage Point Video. He um, edited the video um, for us as a wedding gift, yeah. uh, which is really really sweet. Fantastic. And now, you convinced her up there on under the premise or under the guise of a, a video to promote staycations. That's right, exactly, yeah. Um, she had, she didn't have much of a choice, really, to, to say yes, you know. She was at the end of a cliff and no, no escape, so... <laughs> it was as much of an ultimatum as anything else. That's a good point to pass her over to me. <laughs> Here you go, here's Maria. <laughs> Maria! Hello. Hi, he had you trapped. There wasn't much you could do. <laughs> no, you see, there's no way I could say no. Clever boy. <laughs> so tell me what you, how you saw this. You were there thinking you were filming a video for staycations and it was being filmed on a drone. So that's, that's the story he told you. That's the story he told me. And he managed to ask Niall, our friend who took the pictures and did the video, to call him two days before while we're having dinner. So Blue just told me, ah, Maria, now is calling me. He needs our help to take these photos to promote tourism in West Cork. Could you be up for that? And I was like, yeah, definitely. So when I went there, I had no idea what was going on except for the fact that would be helping a good friend. And it was such a beautiful, magic surprise. Most beautiful day in my life so far. Describe what happened. Obviously, you... You knew the drone was there because you were being told you were being filmed. But, but describe what happened then. Yeah, so basically, when we arrived there, and I said, guys, it's going to be quick. It's going to take 30 minutes. Um, you just avoid, don't look at the drone so pictures will be more natural. And, and I said, okay, so we're just there having our picnic. And at some point, uh, he told Blue that the battery was running off. So he had to take the drone back so at this time he added the the bag with the ring inside and then when I saw the drone coming closer to us I was like what's going on but I never thought it'd be a ring inside that bag I thought it was just you know he was sending something I, I actually didn't realize and then when Blue uh, went on his knee and started shaking his hands and and then I realized I was like shocked and so so happy 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, I mean, every guy in Cork is now going to be trying to beat this. Like, this is this. <laughs> Blue made the uh, guys in Cork had their life, like, very hard now. <laughs> That's what I heard. Yeah, you're, I think, are you from Brazil originally, Maria? Yes, I'm from Brazil originally. And how long have you been here? For eight years now. Oh, good. And Blue, that's not a Castletown Bear accent, mate. No, it's not. No, my dad's actually from Cork City originally, and my mom is from London. So I spent a few years in London when I was a kid and just never lost the twang, as they say. <laughs> the twang. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if I went to England, they'd probably think I sounded Irish. And, you know, stay in Ireland, they think I sound English. So you no in, how, how long are you there in that beautiful part of the world? Oh, geez, I'd say we were living down there 20 years. All right. More, okay. even more. So, yeah. okay, so the proposal has been spectacular. Now, the Thank wedding's you. got to be, like, I mean, well, who, 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 yeah, who are you booking to play the wedding? To, Who's going to play? Well, Who's, I don't know. I was thinking if you two would come down and do a, do a support, support gig, you know, it would be, <laughs> be fantastic. Just putting it out there, you know, anyone. Coldplay, no bother. We'll, we'll give them a nice tent to sleep in or something like that. <laughs> so, so when is the big day? We're think? thinking June there uh, next summer would be nice. It gives us time to plan it properly, and we're hoping that the lockdown will, will be over by oh, then. Oh, if it's know? not over by June, we'll all be jumping off that cliff. Do you know what I mean? Is it. I know. It's nice to do it in the summer. We got uh, engaged on the cliff, and our friends up in um, on the mountain there in Alahees near the copper mine, they actually own uh, the land around one of the copper mines, and they, by chance, were thinking about turning it into an events and wedding venue up there. So we thought it might be kind of sweet if we... If we got engaged on the cliff and got married on the mountain, yeah. Yeah, I'm, that's so actually my... That, that noise you just heard there was the video just starting to play on my oh, iPad. Yeah. We've shared it. Oh. It is just so spectacular. There you are oh, on your little you picnic, so much, Matt. Out on this headland <laughs> and the drone is coming in. It's just... It's remarkable, guys. It really is remarkable. Uh, and well, you know, we're, we're delighted to be able to bring a bit of um, positive energy and some, yeah. some light into people's hearts in these times and... and you know, it's a lovely personal thing for us, but it's it's nice to share and and all this publicity. I guess it makes it extra special, yeah. especially for Maria as well. Yeah, so. yeah. You're, you're, you you can't believe what happened, can you, Maria? You you can't quite get her on your head around it just yet, can you? No, I can't believe it's just uh, such a beautiful thing that happened to me. I was saying to Blue, uh, doesn't matter if he had proposed me on the couch and anywhere, it would be amazing. But just all this effort that he made to to make this day a special day and sharing that with my family, friends, and went to be like viral on video, lots of viewings, and it's just, we feel so happy. Brilliant. Really, to be sharing love during this time and people, our friends and family have something to hold on and look forward after this pandemic. So hopefully next year we can celebrate love and celebrate our lives back to normal. Well, congratulations to you both and looking forward to the big day when it comes around. Blue and Maria, there's a proposal now to bait all. Congratulations to you both and best of luck for the future. Do you know something? Yes, every fella in Cork now will be planning a proposal and thinking how can he beat it. But I can just think of fellas now be sitting at home this evening and she'll be going, and why couldn't you think of something like that? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 On Quartz 96 FM. Kevin reckons that thing about Mourinho is a fake. We'll see. It's just out there 
as many other stories are, I guess. But thanks, Kev. That's it for this morning. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we shall see you tomorrow, just after nine. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.